Welcome to episode 82 of Zaps to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, then this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our second batch of games from issue 35 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with and were querulous at a question of scruples, bombarded in the Battle Valley and mugged off by Masters of the Universe, the movie. This week, we continue our look at the games in March 1988, along with what was lighting up our TV screens in the UK that month. So Graham, tell us what we have going on in this episode. In this highly elaborate and confusing wedding fair showcasing the latest crazes of giant illuminated wooden alphabet characters, multicoloured popcorn, confectionery and pulled pork sandwich hand wagons you can hire, hand-glittered tree trunk slices for table decorations and glitter beards you can wear in a selfie booth of an episode. We grab our M16s, adorn ourselves with bullet belts and head into the jungle on a Rambo-style rescue mission in the shooty Akari Warriors, make our depth 600 metres and then slowly wait for anything to happen in the dreary underwater nonsense of sub-battle simulator, head to the 8-bit crazy goal for some fun and to test the dexterity and aim of our balls in mini-putt and then head to the proper golf course armed with a full set of clubs, jerky movement and a power system so confusing even Arnold Palmer would need the old Billy Baru in World Tour golf. If that glitzy bunch of happiness isn't enough to keep your wedding reception pumping and you think Bongo the Magician and DJ Blinky might add some much needed magic to proceedings. We also dive 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 in another submarine game this time blatantly trying to steal a really fancy one in the interesting and first version of The Hunt for Red October. We take a bunch of fancy supercars for a bitty spin around Brown Mountain while avoiding traffic made of Lego in the crashy test drive, bury our head in our hands and scream at the utter user interface stupidity presented in the annoying slain or Sloynia, or whatever it was called, before finally taking Questor, Thor, Thyra and Merlin on yet another adventure into yet another hundred dungeon levels of stuff, this time at a slower, ploddier and more boring pace in Gauntlet 2. I am trying real hard to like some of these games now. This is like when a dentist cleans your teeth with his electro spiker. Sure, they feel mega clean afterwards, but you still want to punch the dentist in the face. Sweet. Sweet, 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 sweet. Sweet. Tasty Nectar treats. To my ears. Tasty um, treats. Tasty treats. There are some tasty treats in there, but like a bag of Revels, there are also the coffee ones. Yeah, you can't use. I said that two weeks ago. My intro. You can't just n- nick you? my intro bits. Yes, I bloody well did. You n- intro ripper. I don't listen. I, I, I need to do the check the QA. Sorry. Why don't you just press M one thousand? Just rip out my assembly code. <laughs> um okay it's like a bag of uh haribo and you might get the lips but they're nice there's there's some crap games coming up <laughs> and that's all okay. that, that's that makes all, more that's sense. all that i can say sense. anyway yes but before we get into those games uh we normally mention this at the end but i'm just gonna uh mention it here we have a patreon if you wish to sign up for that and you wish to help out the podcast that would be cool there are two tiers that would be cool um you can find that at patreon.com 
forward slash zapped to the past. And there are two tiers. One uh, is for a pound and one uh, which helps us out. And the other one is £4.50 or your uh, your currency equivalent, which is probably 4.5 of whatever you're using because of the <laughs> the tanking of the pound that's going on at the yeah. moment. Well, no, there's no extremes we won't go to to get you the best value for zapped to the past. <laughs> Absolutely. <episode. laughs> yeah. We, uh, <laughs> the, the trust bot has been well programmed. <laughs> the trust bot and the, and the Quartang 101. <laughs> exactly. Just don't buy into Quatloos at the moment because they're not what they used to be. <laughs> they're not. Yeah, so that gets you access to the Discord. There's early access to the ad-free episodes. Any other stuff we might want to throw out and things like that. And it's all good and it helps us out, obviously. So if you wish to do that, it's patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. That's cool. And there you go. That's uh, that's our that's our shilling over with, I think. Um, should we get in some games? I think we best add. <laughs> Let's get in some games then. Yeah, we've been we've been talking for ages. All right. Um, oh, I just did just want to say, by the way, I noticed when I was QAing last week's episode, and I know you finished it on there, so it's all right. So I'm just going to put it here because it's too late to put everything in there. The mission's first album was God's Own Medicine. I kept saying it was Wasteland. That was a single off it. Oh no! And I just bought a boat. <laughs> And I'm three days to retirement. <laughs> I don't think anyone would worry about that. I worried when I listened to it. I went, ah, oh, because I didn't just say it once. I said it twice. Not thrice, but twice. And it bugged oh, I just me. Know, if we went back and listened to some of the little corrections we have to make, it's quite a few. I know. I would I'm listen just... to them and go, eh, it's t- too much effort. <laughs> <laughs> well, that no wasn't too much effort. It was just but there anyway. No so if you've been it's sat like, there good, going, good. call yourself a goth. I'm like, well, I don't, not anymore. <laughs> but um... were you ever actually a full goth? You was only partial. I was like a goth. I was like a goth loo. <laughs> So yeah, you like, was a, yeah. I was part goth, part rock, part, rock, rock goth, rock, goth, goth roku in the uh, monster squad, uh, in the monster squad nomenclature. Yeah, you'd be a, like a rogo, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Like yeah, I was a rogo, a rogo, I was a part crumbler. Yes, you. I think you were by association, as I recall, um, and obviously you knew a lot of them. I mean, that makes sense, really. But you didn't have a tiny hat, so all bets are off. <laughs> True, I didn't. Sorry. I did have a tiny hat. I didn't. I no, you didn't. You I never didn't, wore no. a tiny hat, as far as I, I, I remember. No, I'd need a big hat to cover that hair. <laughs> There's a lot of hair in there. <laughs> there was a lot of hair. Anyway, let's get into some games. Uh, let's, let's get do into this some thing. games. And Graham, you've got the first one. You're going to yomp. This is the game that yomps. <laughs> I read that as well. I'm like, look, you can't just make up a word and then just use it a lot. <laughs> to be fair, All no, right? I think yomps is a military word. It's to yomp over, over hill and down dale, yomp. Anyway, it's a carry right. warriors. Tell us about a carry warriors, Graham. Um, okay, this is from Elite. It's an arcade conversion. It was coded by John Twiddy. John Twiddy's a good old coder, isn't he? Um, mm. Graphics by Paul Walker. Not the dead guy from um, the Fast and Furious movies, I don't think. Um, I got, Rory I Green. Karen, <laughs> Karen Truman from the Karen Truman Show. Um, she's still in there. And uh, John Harrison did the graphics. The title screen was Paul Walker as well. And the musician here is Jason C. Brooke and Mark Cooksey. I don't know who did what. I don't know that whether they shared it. I don't know. That's who did it. That's just, that's just what's listed. So... For the uninitiated, and for those of of us that spent a long time thinking that Akari was a demo group before it was a game, that's probably me, Mm -hmm. Um, Akari Warriors is also known as Ikari Fury in Japan. Apparently, this is a little bit of extra information. It is a vertically scrolling run-and-gun shooter arcade game developed and released by SNK in 1986. And released in North America by Trade West. I didn't research too heavily for this. This is straight off the Wikipedia for this game. The game was released at the time when there were many Commando clones on the market. Now, I, I, I'm i not so sure about that. Many Commando clones? Was, I can think of one Commando. Maybe there's more than one. I don't know. It, it, was, the, it was the genre of a thousand games. <laughs> <laughs> what distinguished Ikari Warriors 
from, from the name of Carry Warriors and it being the only other game I ever played that was like this in the arcade, uh, were rotary joysticks and a two-player mode. Um, the rotary joystick controls were in turn based on SNK's earlier TNK3, whatever that means, and as Carry was originally intended to be an officially licensed adapt- adaptation of the film Rambo First Blood Part 2. That is quite interesting. But SNK were initially unable to acquire the rights to the film. What a different game that would have been. Actually, it wouldn't have been, would it? But Not exactly the same no. as the Carry Warriors. It would look like a Carry Warriors, except it was called Rambo. Yeah, you run around with a red headband on. You do. Anyway, any road up. So this, the scenario then. General Alexander Bonn, CIF US forces in Central America. So I'm guessing that's the CIF is the military wing. I don't know. Um, obviously <laughs> the commander-in-chief. 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 No, commander-in-chief. commander-in-chief flip-flops i don't know um <laughs> has been seized by a band of revolutionaries and held captive in his own headquarters before his final capture he relayed a mayday which you and your buddy picked up your plane crash lands in a dense jungle some distance from the headquarters you don't have to just crash land planes you can land them legitimately have to do that way. <laughs> after deciding whether to go it alone or attempt the rescue together you set off you are in deep guerrilla territory um, and that's guerrilla military not just a lot of angry apes or the band or the band <laughs> or the band <laughs> on all sides gather trained marksmen and combatiers. Combatiers is not a word I've come across before. <laughs> anyway, determined like to stop you. <laughs> yeah, they're combatiers. The three combatiers. It soon becomes apparent that you lack the supplies to win, but win through you must. Ambush uh, enemy tanks and use them yourself. Collect fuel and grenades left by the enemies as they retreat. So that's the game. That's the sort of scenario of the game. It's very much in the commando Rambo ilk, this. In fact, it's, it is that. And who days wins too, of course. In our little 64 world, of course, it's, you know, this is the, there were so many in the arcades. There was so many of these clones. They were everywhere <laughs> just falling over them in the arcade. Not another one of these clones. So you can play one or two player in this. You control the action with your joystick. So you obviously run around a la commando shooting at things in all the different directions. You can hold down the fire button to press grenade, but a nice little touch here is there are two firing modes here. So you can either just shoot in the direction you're moving, the standard way, the Rambo way, as we like to call that, mm-hmm. um, or you can actually fire in a fixed direction by pressing an appropriate key on the keyboard. It's run stop for joystick port one, and it was, I think, the equals or up arrow key for port two. I'm not sure what the equivalents are, because I'm on a modern keyboard, so Lord knows, I just kept pressing them until they did it what I wanted. Nice little touch, escape. though, that you can do that. Mm. And so you really, you actually play this two-player with, you know, on the same side. That is, in, in, a, in of itself, is quite an innovation for this. Quite nice, that. I don't think it's the first arcade game where these two players playing for the same team, as it were. I'm not sure if this kind of game, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know how innovative that is. With all the clones of Commando around, who would know? Who would know? There's so many <laughs> everywhere. There's books written on it. <laughs> well, someone just left three or four piled up outside my house the other day. I was like, stop piling up your Commando clones everywhere. Get away from me, you combatiers. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> so this is a Commodore 64 version of that arcade game. Now, I have not played the arcade game a lot. It is in the arcade club, I think, in Manchester, and I'm pretty sure in Leeds. But either way, I haven't played it a lot. And that's partly because I never really got on with it that well. And I think that's partly just because of the, the novelty of the rotating controllers. And I just, I never really liked Commando in the arcade. It's all right for a quick go now and again, but it's not one you're going to sit there and go, wow, Commando, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. This is kind of the same deal for me. Not that it's bad. That's just more my kind of, it's not, you'd think it'd be my kind of game, but I get a bit tired of it anyway. So the C64 version comes along. Uh, quite a nice little arcade version. Obviously, with the controller being the 360 stick, uh, I suppose it's this sort of what you class as a twin stick shooter then in that way. It, can, it kind of is on one stick, yeah. It sort yeah. of is, because you can move in one direction and fire in another. That's a twin stick shooter. Yes. Yes, it is. Sorry about that pregnant pause there. I was listening. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I thought. I thought, so this is kind of a one stick twin stick, which sounds like a, a porn movie. 
but it isn't that at all. Um, that's not what it is. Anyway, so so in the Commodore 64 version, they've uh, sort of made the twin stick, one stick thing by pressing the keyboard. At least they held true to that because the easy thing to do would have just been to, you could either, you know, just try some kind of crappy control system, sidearms, and then try and, you know, implement something that doesn't work, sidearms. Or at least it does try and have that. And I guess you call it strafing mode, really, isn't it? I suppose when you just yeah, run to one yeah. it's Pretty yeah. cool. So the C64 version, obviously, is very much in the Rambo. I'm actually more, com- I was, I'd say it was more Rambo than Commando, really, I suppose, which is kind of its heritage. Mm-hmm. And it's not a bad old thing, actually, this. Now, it surprised me because I wasn't sure. I never played a lot of this, and I had very I've hardly any memories of the C64 version at all. In fact, I wasn't sure I'd, I'd played it very rarely, hardly ever. So I thought, I'll come into this. I thought, actually, this isn't a bad little game. Everything you might want from the arcade of what I saw, because I YouTube the arcade to have a look. Everything that you want from the arcade is here. It has the interest sequence where the plane comes tumbling in. You two soldiers sort of appear from the bottom, or you one soldier if you play one player. You can shoot and throw grenades. There's loads of enemies in this. I mean, there's one thing that ain't shot of his body count. And this is like this is like the Rambo movie in that respect. It's like yeah, actually it's more like Rambo yeah. three. Now that that film's body count heavy. So there's loads to shoot at, loads of Stupid formations that they do in the jungle, though, where they form little shapes and then run at you and all sorts of silly things like that. But it's got all of that. And the backgrounds aren't actually that bad. The graphics here aren't what you're going to... They're not going to set you on fire, you know, with their amazing quality. They're not IO standard here. But they do look like they're the things they're supposed to be, albeit obviously little kind of squat. So a little bit squatter, as they always tend to be in the C64. It's no bad thing. It moves around at a pace. You can run around and shoot in all the different angles. The grenades will f- throw away fine. This background scroll on for what seems like forever because I'm not sure if it's endless scrolling, but I was going for ages and ages and ages and ages. So I don't know if that's a bit like Who Dares Wins logic, I think. Mm-hmm. So this is all in one load, remember. So there's clearly a lot of clever stuff going on with the John Twitty's code here because the backgrounds are reasonably varied. You've got water things that slow you down and they the little soldiers, are, enemy soldiers go under the water as well and pop up, which is, again, a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. There's buildings to blow up. You can even get in tanks. So periodically you'll come across a tank. You will always hit landmines within three seconds of getting in that tank. It's like a rule. Um, but because also there's landmines that pop up at the most inconvenient places ever. Like, right, just as you're about to get into a tank, like, oh, no, mind bomb. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I got all I've got off 1.2 seconds in that tank of joy before I was quickly killed. So, yeah, so when you, the mines do have a tendency to pop up at the most inconvenient moments. Normally, as you get into a tank, you won't last long. But they are there, obviously, to break up the pattern. So you Because this isn't a game, really. If you, It's probably actually slightly better in two-player because you can actually sort of hang back in this game and, and take out the enemies and flank them a little bit and work as a team. And it, I think it's designed around a little bit more of that logic. So it's less affordance for one player, probably slightly more for player two player. And that's no bad thing. It, you know, it's a good thing. Um, I think it just it just lends itself to being a bit more fun that way. The scenery can be, be blown up, but it does seem to go on and on forever. I was going on and when you get in the tanks, you can run over people and you shoot bigger bombs, obviously, but they will lob grenades. And it's following in the commando. It's actually it, by control... And by the player, it's a bit more like Commando from the way you throw grenades. There's a little bit of Rambo in there, but you don't have the weapons. You only can, you only got a machine gun and your grenades. But I think it isn't actually that bad. Like I said, the backgrounds are kind of functional, but they work in the context of this. The scrolling's all good. The code base is nice. The players move around really well. It's got a nice overall feel. The music's really good all the way through. Really drives the pace. It's not super it's not amazing but it's not again it's not terrible and i don't know if it's really a version of the arcade music i think it is in places but it all kind of works really well there's some nice touches in this it's not a bad conversion of the arcade so i think the only thing really it might get a tad repetitive because of the way it's designed but you could say the same about who dares wins too i think this is probably the best commando-y rambo-y variant since who dares wins too um but that's not necessarily saying anything so all in all it got a uh, a cozy 89 percent 
I think it's about right. It's full price. It's an arcade conversion, so you're going to get that. If you've played the arcade, I think you'll like it. If you haven't, it's a decent Rambo-y, Commando-y type game in here as well. Not bad. Two-player. I wish I'd played it two-player. I think that'd be a lot of fun, I imagine. And games that come later on that this reminded me of are things like Chaos Engine, which kind of had a little bit of feel about this, and perhaps there's some others as well. There's a lot to like here. Decent start. What about you? This was ported everywhere as well. There was even a C16 Plus 4 version as well. Um, oh, okay. Weirdly, as well, this isn't the first conversion of this. There was one in 1986. Was that the crappy American one? I did play that. The Data East one, yeah. It, so, oh, it was horrible. It, it was awful, wasn't it? Yeah. So that, that was, was the Data East one in 86, but it's really bad. Really bad. Yeah, I, I saw it. I played it. The, the two versions you put in the little area that we get them from. I didn't, men- I didn't think it was worth mentioning because it was so far from being an Akari Warriors game. It yeah. seems silly. It did, yeah. Terrible thing. It was, it thing, was right? awful. But in comparison to this, because like you said, this has pretty much everything from the arcade game, from the you know the crashing plane at the start. The, the I love the way that the, the menus bounce on and so there's lots of scrolling. The presentation around this is really good. You know, the way that it scrolls on, you come mm, out of the w- yeah. wing to the plane. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell that, you know, this is the guy who did Last Ninja Last Ninja 2, Tau Seti. This is a guy who knows how to make the C64 sing. So, and when you give him a, okay, can you convert this? We're like, yeah, okay. And this is how you do it. So it's, it's incredible. It's fast. Loads, like I said, loads of sprites on screen. And without a, barely a flicker. Yeah, um, loads. Uh, it's loads. It's just what it is. It's gone for, like you said, like you've said, it's speed and playability over flashiness. And, uh, there's a, you know, some of the chunky character design of the arcade game has been lost because that's one of the things I always liked about the arcade game. It's nice and sort of chunky. It's got the SNK chunkiness. The speed of the play in this, I like the way it's kept, but it has got the, when you kill the enemies, they spin away um, and they do that in this. Yeah. That's nice. This feels like a carry Warriors. It's a very solid conversion. And also that because everything's not as chunky, I found there's, there's more room to move on screen with this. So it felt a bit more open than the arcade game because I think the arcade game is, you know, tall and narrow, whereas this is a bit wider. So it feels like there's a bit more room to maneuver a bit which is good so there it is it's not flashy but all the bits are there this is a really solid conversion and it's an arcade game that i do love to play it's one of them it's that music i love it there's like some goblins no it's not it's carry warriors trust me it's still hard though it's rock hard <laughs> no beating about that and like you said trying to trying to get into a tank and she's like tank mine dead Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's long in them. <laughs> and then the tank blows up. You're like, oh, but it's lovely. It's very smooth. I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I had a great time playing this. I don't think I really actually played this much back then, which is strange. It must have been one of those that was just on the cusp of me not really playing much C64 stuff around this time. Because I think if I'd have got hold of this on this machine, I would have been all over. I'd have been playing this load. I never remember seeing it anywhere, though. I, I really it, don't. I remember seeing the adverts, and I kind of remember it being converted. Yeah, the adverts. But I just, just but don't, I don't remember, remember seeing the. Seeing the- game in a shop anywhere or anything no and i don't remember sort of either like you know you mm. or, or or in the, sh- in, the in the ways you were getting in and stuff and, and gary sort of thing where most of the stuff was coming through don't really remember it turning up because i would have had it i'd have had this in, in a heartbeat mm. uh, but no glad i glad i got to play this because it was really good really good loved it so it was, so it was excellent i'd have given this a sizzler all day long yeah but that's yeah. but that's just me that's because that's that that's how i carry roll very good yeah, here we go. Carry Warriors, good one to start with. I'm sure mm. the episode will continue in such a high fashion. Be nice. Would be nice. Let's move on to our next one. Uh, next up is Sub Battle Simulator. And before you say it, no, it's not from Codemasters. I know. I wish it was. <laughs> Part of me wishes it was. It's from Epics. <laughs> this is from Epics, Graham. I know. Um, and it got Goodness. 24%. So let's see if it's, you know, Zap have been known to be wrong in the past. And a yes. lot, of, lot of 
It's got good reviews elsewhere, so maybe they're wrong here. All right, so this is Sub Battle Simulator. It's another deep dive <laughs> into the world of simulations as Epix's Sub Battle Simulator slides stealthily into our wake. Does it torpedo us with quality or is it taken down by a depth charge? This was created by Digital Illusions with programming from Kelly Fergasson, Gordon Halton, Rob Brannan, and Brad Meyer. Uh, it's even had playtesters listed on the credits. Uh, Johan, Dan, Richard, Tom, and Rob. So, you know, hats off to actually having some people testing the game, although hats down to the fact that they uh, didn't actually listen to them because they must have told them that this wasn't very good. <laughs> if you were testing yeah. this, you're like, it's not good. <laughs> it must be good. <laughs> it has to be good. Mm. It's not. Anyway, in this game, your objective is to command a World War II submarine, complete whatever mission you are on, and survive. There are 60 different missions in total. 60, that's quite a lot, with 24 American ones and 36 German ones. According to the instructions, the American missions are very close to historical occurrences, but the German missions are not as exact since all these record, all the records for those were destroyed at the end of the war, so they just made it up, basically. We think this is where these German subs went, but we don't got to be in the water, at least. So you got to be mostly right there. Well, 80% you think... chance of getting it right. <laughs> the missions fall into four categories, seek and destroy, rendezvous, lifeguarding, and patrol. And these can take place over three modes, target practice against an enemy convoy, single mission in a real combat setting, and wartime command over the course of the entire war. Now, I can't help but feel that there's maybe something in between single mission and the entire war that would have been good to see. It's like, I just want to, you know, something in the middle, like a few missions, like a, a <laughs> you know, a sortie, like a yeah. couple of bits. Not the entire, I don't want to do 1939 to 1945. That's it's too much. a long much. old stretch, isn't it? Though? That's too much. Uh, anyway, never mind. Uh, when starting to read the instructions, it tells you that the controls are in Appendix B of the manual. A quick flick to this and, oh my God. <laughs> Oh my yes. god! It used just about every key on the keyboard for something or other, it's just, and it's all listed in alphabetical order. And I was like, "Oh god!" So I was like, "Okay, I'll try and get it." You know, we play them, so you don't have to. So I dove in and let's have this. So the first thing it did me to tell me to was told me to do was press uh, Control and N for a new game, which promptly crashed. <laughs> just cr- crashed the game. So yes. I was like, uh, "Okay," so I tried again, and this game doesn't boot quickly. <laughs> It's a bit of a no, slow doesn't. loader. doesn't use the Epic's fast loader. So when the game slowly boots up, you get some siren. So this it's weird how this works. It's like the game boots into the game, and then you get a title screen, and then it goes back to the game to let you start a new game, and then just crashes. And it just kept doing that every time. I don't know whether that was that. I couldn't. I tried another one. I kept getting the same thing. So it's really weird. It's really weird how this is structured. And I, I was like, what am I doing? So when it, the, the bits I could actually play, I was looking at a screen with a lot of dials, and one would move slightly at my joystick presses, but... Only in a so it's a dial and it had a, a down the bottom left and it would move slightly up like a watch stuck like a stuck watch it wouldn't do really do much and I, I tried different joysticks yeah. I tried pressing keys and then when you press a certain key it will let, it will start loading again and bring up a different screen because every every screen we saw this in one of their other ones was it destroyer destroyer yeah, yeah it's the same thing so pressing going to any different part of the sub is a different load so you've got to oh okay this is loading this doesn't load particularly fast so it's a bit of a pain in the ass instructions like i said to give it an alphabetical order so you're constantly trying to figure out what to press to enable something so there's no overlay it's not like the micropose one where it says just a, here's the keyboard and these do what you know it's just and, and you may think okay well if i'm looking for ra- radar i can look quickly through but it's on a really small set of instructions crammed together and it's hard to sort of find and look through it ain't good so then it told me to get into press control and l n and i did and it crashed again and at that point i, I just gave up I, I tried to go through screens i tried to move stuff i tried to fire stuff up it just wasn't happening I, you know i didn't i couldn't get it going in the small time i had to play this the pace is glacial there's no real feedback to anything some reviews I saw said it was very buggy and slow, and one actually said it was possibly written in basic. 
Yeah, which made me laugh. I, I'm not sure that's the case. Maybe it is. I don't know. The viewpoints were pretty dull. Nothing seemed to be happening, and my commands took ages to do anything. When I was trying to, when actually trying to do something, they just took ages for any kind of response to come back. I am not, you know, generally not the most tolerant for these kind of games. But when it crashes or locks up or gets no real feedback and looks this dull, the graphics are nothing particularly great. I couldn't even work out what there was. There was a C. There was dark blue at the bottom in the sort of layout of the screen, light blue at the top, and some black things did you know what they were were they ships no i, I imagine probably <laughs> i thought it might be the seagull i thought maybe a seagull had crapped on the periscope <laughs> probably. I, I, don't, I don't know i'm just out i'm out for this sort of game it needs to get me in we'll look at one in a, maybe in the next house or something which may be something different but we know we've got another sub game later on i don't know i don't even know if there's much of a game in there if i'm honest I mean, Zap said 24%, the 60 missions, but, you know, I couldn't get my head around it or get it to work properly to say. Some people will say, probably get a kick out of this, but I just wanted to kick this instead. Um, Mm. So I call this a subpar simulator. um, And that's that's what I thought of this. What about you? Did you manage to get any further into this? No, no. And that's partly because I really didn't want to. (laughs) I loaded it up and it took forever to load, as you've said. I was presented with what was essentially a remix of Destroyer in some ways, yep, but nowhere yep, near yep. as good. Mega slow, like painfully slow, and I get it. Steering a submarine ain't going to be like dusting crops, is it? No, no, it's not. You might bump too close to a supernova, and then you're going to be going home real early. Uh, just to quote, <laughs> misquote Star Wars. I <laughs> um, don't know why that's popped in my head. <laughs> Travelling through the Atlantic, getting like dusting crops, boy. Uh, anyway, so the long and the short of this entire epic sub-battle was one, I think this is a panic-stricken release. I think that this has probably been in some kind of development backlog or in slow development, and then they got wind that Microprobes were going to be releasing Silent Service at some point, and therefore this was rush released to be the first out there because, of course, it's Epics. This is the worst Epics game I think I've ever seen. Oh, I don't know. Um, There's those other two we looked at. Starfire and Fire One. Yeah, but they were. They, I mean, they were years ago. So maybe since those then, but they were, we're talking, yeah. you know, what, you know, years ago. Yeah, this they is, were 1983, yeah. Shocking, this. So it's, it's really unplayable. I don't know that there's even much mileage for anyone that's into submarines to really like it. I don't know that many people that were. No. But no, I quite like some of these naval battle type simulators. And even I found this impenetrable. I mean, the, 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 we've obviously we'd got some of the instructions that were online, albeit that you had to sort of mega zoom into them because it was like obviously printed on a star map or something. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I hate that. <laughs> so it was obviously on some, you know, one, one piece of paper that was folded into infinity. So when you unfolded <laughs> it from the case, you bought it and it like folded out to a map the size of a room. Um, and I hate those, you know, I yeah. hate, that's just cheap. That's, you know, don't f- make a book. Don't fold pages into a book. And then when I unfold it, it's one big page with lots of things printed on it. I don't like that, which is what this was. So there's loads and loads of stuff to read it, but it doesn't have the same depth and it doesn't set the scene properly. It's just kind of like, this is how you play the game. This is how you control the game. It's like, well, what is this game? What, no, what, what is it? Is it? Okay. It's set in world war two. Why? Why not? If you're going to do a submarine simulator, set it in a modern submarine, like a nuclear submarine or something like that. I know they're top secret. Nobody really knows where they are or how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, and I also get that a large, from my movie knowledge of submarines, which is extensive, not, um, <laughs> that a large percentage of submarine battles are actually doing nothing because they're just sat waiting and watching. Because in all the movies, they're like, make your deck 6,000 meters. Actually, that's probably way too far. I don't know what I'm talking about. But they just kind of remember, <laughs> I know the submarines. Are, Never come out of the submarine, you. That's too, that's too deep. I said 6,000 meters, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> crunch oh <laughs> either they're not allowed to make noise because someone i remember yeah, yeah. you know they drop a fork or something because they you know they're eating their lunch like you do or you know he's eating a yogurt and he drops his spoon and it's like clank 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 it's like 
oh my God, and the depth charges. They know exactly where you are because they can pinpoint you by the sound of your spoon it in the deck. <laughs> or it's that um, Tarantino written thing, you know, with the, what's it called? Crimson Tide, is it? Um, that's my only other, that's the only where people just shout at yeah. each other a lot on submarines. So that's my knowledge. They're either very quiet or they shout it. Neither of which those, those things apply to this. Is that the Denzel so Washington boring. Gene Hackman one you're on about? That's the one, yeah, yeah, where he gets, yeah, yeah. It becomes the, it's just who can be the angriest. It's, t- it's Tony um, Scott Dutch angle. Yeah, lots of angles, lots of talking about horses, as I remember, which is odd. Mm. Um, anyway, so, yeah, no, dull, dull, dull. I don't quite know what's happened to epics. I'm pretty sure submarines are slow and stealthy, but this is ticking the mickey, really. How do you go from Destroyer, which was pretty good, to this? Well, I don't know, um, but it's bland, it's boring, and it's slow, and those are not good things. Goodbye, goodbye. No. They sunk that battleship, good and proper, that one. They sunk <laughs> that submarine. Yeah, they really Gone. did. Yeah, yeah, not like good. I said, subpar simulator. Correct. There that's that. There you go. That's Sub Battle Simulator. Yeah, would have been better from Codemasters. And that is damning. Yes. That really is. Let's move along. We've got some golf games coming up. Let's get into our golf. Let's put on our tartan strides and uh, some spiky <laughs> shoes and get into them. And you've got the first one, Graham. I Mini do. put. Yes. Well, when you say let's, you know, two golf games... <laughs> one of them is golf. This one is not golf. This is mini putt. So this is no, uh, not golf. That's crazy golf. Fun, f- crazy golf. Fun golf. Laughing out loud golf. Not mini pops. So <laughs> it's not often, is it? No, no, it's not mini pops. That the world of mini golf is given a bit of a game treatment. Mm. There, there's an underrepresented and niche genre. This is brought to you by Accolade. All people, they've got a bit of a presence in this episode. Coded by Martin Edwards and Lisa Mendoza. <laughs> um. <laughs> Graphics, Grant Campbell, Ross, Ross O'Connor, and Steve Goodman. And the musician here is Paul Butler. Okay. So I could sort of understand why mini golf's not been given the game treatment, really. I suppose it's it, it's not that serious a thing, is it? It's not too So it's 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 not a serious thing. And I suppose that sort of lends itself to games, really. So I'm, on one hand, I'm surprised that this hasn't been done. But on the other hand, I think because they're quite limiting in what they do, you know, maybe this is just not, not so much fun to be had anyway. This one doesn't take itself too seriously, I guess. It's got fairly simple controls, a la a golf game. And that means you can sort of, um, with the context of mini golf, you can create sort of, you focus on the other bits. So the funkier hole designs and the uh, and the way you can sort of bounce the ball about off the walls and things like that. Things you can't do in golf, you can do in mini golf, mm-hmm. which is, you know, mini putt, which is fine. Yep. Now, whenever I think of mini putt, I always think of that, crazy movie where uh happy gilmore where he takes um his mate to the mini putt and he goes mad trying to get the ball into that clown the clown keeps laughing at him and he gets the ball in there um anyway so the so this essentially is a mini putt game the graphics are okay in the game the course designs are okay and a bit on the dull side and um, there's not much to go at though the main window is a split into kind of a top-down view of the of part of the hole because you don't see the whole thing you can actually scroll across and move your joystick round to see the sort of the wider the wider view and that actually helps because you can actually move your little target reticule further across and then go for the you know pinging the ball around and sort of the lucky strike or you can sort of get the way the course because obviously these courses are mini courses that bend around corners and have little extra bits and I'll talk about them in a minute but they're not a straightforward leaderboard aim for the you know aim for the thing mm-hmm. and some of the elements are the same but it's not basically that yeah so like I said so you've got the main window it's split it to the top down view at the top and then you can see the whole top the bottom left is you and your control system um middle view mid, the middle is the full view of the hole 
as it were. So that's kind of the, the overview, kind of small map, but a view of everything. Um, but you don't have the detail on that, so you can't see where all the parts that will move the ball around are. I'll talk about that in a minute. The bottom right is the whole number and the current par, and the number of uh, puts, of course, those shots you've taken, and, of course, your name, if you put your name in. You use the joystick to control your target, or the little cross, crosshairs. Um, so you move that around to... Now, I couldn't figure out if the distance to the thing made a difference or whether you just moved it around and it just was just generally the direction that it fired. And I think it's just used for directional purposes. It I don't is. think the crosshairs is very varying distance from you makes a difference. I don't think it did. But No, what that what the crosshair does is it, it tells you how far away it is. Yeah, because you get a little distance meter so you can then judge it on the, on the accuracy so you, thing. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. yeah, so you press your fire button to start the power and stop it initially. So that then goes up like a little gauge. So it goes up the side and obviously that's got a little distance meter on it, as we said. So obviously the further away the hole is, then the more further you're going to need to think about it. Then it comes back down again. And then you get your little accuracy meter where you've got it and it's sort of, you've got to try and get the ball in the middle. It's actually quite a nice little control system for a game like this. It's not terrible. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take long to get into and figure out, which is the good thing. And so once you do that, of course, you hit the ball and that's going to, with actually decent physics, um, hit off and head towards the hole and bounce around and do all those things that you want it to do. Hopefully go in, probably won't. The holes themselves have areas with small arrows on them. Um, they're all demarked with little areas and those indicate rises, falls, bumps and things. That will change the speed and direction of and make things life difficult make life difficult for your mini uh, putter to try and get there. Um, so you've got to bear that in mind when you're shooting. Um, on the first hole, for example, I was obsessed with trying to get down the middle of the three gaps, but it's probably just as easy <laughs> so to go down I. the first one. So was I. But I, I wanted it to go down that second <laughs> one all the time. The main game itself can have up to four players, so you can play this with four people, and it's just it's mini put, decent little mini put game. Your little character that you see in the corner has a range of emotions that he shows, uh, which aren't overly animated but they are very accurate <laughs> they're expressive yeah they work yeah, so they're, yeah. they're expressive and they work in the context of what it is so like i said this is all kind of reasonably well designed now i was expecting this to be quite because it's quite a lot of loading in this but it actually loads really quick so it's yeah. not a terribly slow loader it's quite nippy and fast and because you can practice i think on this as well although i could be getting that mixed up with the stupid other one but i think you can practice holes because i think the first time i tried to practice it asked me to flip the tape which threw me completely so I had to find a different version. But you can choose from the different, there's four different mini put courses. I didn't write down what they mm -hmm. were for some reason, um, but you've probably got that detail. But there's four different courses you can you can go through. They're much of a muchness, actually. I didn't go through all of them. I just went to try to get through the first one. I had a fun game of mini put. It's just all these games are a little bit boring on your own. I imagine with a couple of people, this would be a bit of a laugh. Yeah. It's a, it's a decent enough game. There's nothing to really hate here, actually. The graphics are okay. There's some. It's simple enough, but it works. Um, and the main thing is here is that my rule of thumb with these things is, am I able to play a decent version of the thing they're trying to make? So can I go around? Can I navigate this? Is it easy? Is it easy in? Is the selection screen a pain in the ass? No. Can I get in? Is it going to keep track of my scores? It does all that. And I'm able to play a decent round of, of, of mini put. Um, it's just a bit dull for one player. I like some of the details in this as well. There's some little simple details, but, but it makes for a good game when you add all those little things up. The little guy in the corner. The fact that it does show you your distance, the fact that you do have, you know, you can move your view around and you can get an overview of what you need to be. And you can you can strategize with this so you can try different things out. That's quite nice as well. You know, because it's a physics game, because it's a little bit wild physics. And, and by that, I mean that you can, you'd never be able to ex exactly hit the same thing exactly twice. I think not quite. It would always bounce slightly differently, I think. Mm -hmm. It makes for a sort of interesting game. So quite a lot of fun the things that move move well the physics good once you get used to it and how it works you'll soon be away with it no issue the sound was a bit sparse though and i think that's a little bit that is the problem in something like this because it's it, it would have just added a little bit of atmosphere to have some laughs or some 
just some noise, general noise, other than a few clicks and a few, you know, very, really sort of perfunctory sounds. Mm. Just a little bit of atmosphere would have really helped this, just to lift it a little bit from being a bit boring in one player. But I think there's some good mileage in it. I quite liked it. It got I, I got on with it quite well. It's not a bad old little multiplayer game, this, I bet, under the hood. 78% in Zap. Yeah, I think it's, it's not bad. It's not a contender for leaderboard because it's not trying to take that crown. Good plan, good thinking. Don't do that. Do something a little bit different. What do you think? Yeah, smart little game, this, I thought. Lot to like on disc. This is okay. Imagine on tape, it would have been a pain to actually, you know, if it was loading each thing from tape, that could have been a bit of a oof. But we're not. We're playing on disc, so you know, it is what it is. The overhead view I thought worked pretty well. The visuals are simple. They're functional. Um, you know, it's just different colored parts and yeah. arrows pointing in the gradient direction. But they, the function, they tell you exactly what you need to know. So they yes. impart the information, so you know that that's rolling down there. It's going to roll up there. You can work it out if you're up, You know, blah blah blah. I thought the graphics on the player were okay. Uh, they, they, and, and but there's. Like I said, some humorous animations. You get the ball in a par. There's even the little tune if you get a hole in one, which is quite nice. So you do something good and he jumps up if he gets a par. That's all good. But like you said, I think what makes this game, though, you know, we've said about um, so many ball games where the physics are just ass. This, it's the physics in this. It's just they just work. They do exactly yeah, what you good. expect them to do. And it makes this quite a satisfying skill-based game because of that control system. It's got the usual type of golf controls. Mate, it's similar to leaderboard, isn't it? It's your, you go up for the power, you press down, it comes down for you, yeah, and yeah. you snap. You get your snap for your hook or your slice. It's a similar thing. I really like the fact that moving the crosshair tells you how far away it is. It just increases it, so it says you're now 12, 13, 14 feet away. That's really nice. That's a really good fun- feature on this kind of game, this kind of top-down uh, crazy golf-style game. The bounce on the ball is really good. The grade it's well-realized. It just makes for a fun game. I thought the, the front end, I thought it was quite uh, sort of skate or die, skate and die, skate or die ish. The way that you know you've got the guy and he sort of you know, he comes up popping out, hand, handing you the big pen to when to type your name in and stuff like that. So it was kind of a kind of had that kind of presentational style and that sort of opening screen. It loses it once you get into the game. Obviously, the graphics are nothing like it, but that opening style presentation was quite nice. You just type them in, type your name in, and off you go. Pick your pick your course, and, and you're up and you're ready to go. It's good that it can move between uh, maybe on the opening screen when the hole is over multiple screens, so you can view the hole. You know, if it's because sometimes it's like about three or four screens long in it to actually get to the hole and you've got to try and work out where to bounce with to hit it down and that's nice as well so yeah they made a fun it's a little short but it's fun crazy golf sim i imagine yeah like you said in multiplayer with four people playing it, this would be a this would be right doc you'd have a proper laugh sort of thing trying to get it in you know because you mm. just because you is skill based so you've got to be quite good but it's still get your snap wrong and like you said you're trying it's like crazy golf you try and put it through, go for the cheeky holding one, but it's hard, or you can just play it safe and yeah, maybe go yeah. for a par. This does all that. It does exactly that. Good stuff. 78% I thought was about right, and you are right. It could, it needed a bit more atmosphere. There's just a bit more in, in game just to sort of, tw- you know, like you said, golf claps. Yeah, something if, simple. If, if ever there been a place for golf claps, this is it, you know. Golf yeah. claps. Yeah. You know, that's what it needed. Mini putt. Yeah, good stuff. I liked it. Never, never heard of it either as well. Never, never, ever heard of this but um, glad I played it, liked it, good stuff. Let's move on, we've got another golf game coming up. And this one is World Tour Golf. World Tour Golf. Okay, so this is full-on golf, full-on. It's now some time since Leaderboard basically set the benchmark for golf games, and we've not seen too many pretenders to the crown, I don't think. Have we seen any other golf games, really? Mm, we had that don't crap- remember any. There was that hole-in-one, but was that before? I can't really remember. I don't really think of anything. But we've got EA here attempting to steal that crown with their take on the good walk, you know, on the good walk ruined in World Talk Golf. The game concept and design of this is by Evan Robinson, Nicky Robinson, and Paul Reich III. 
And I put I noted that good job his name wasn't the other way round, Paul Third Reich, which would be uh, um, un- unusual and, uh, and uh, unfortunate. The graphics routines are by Dan Silver, and the music is by Tommy Dunbar. After the usual EA loading stuff, where the EA logo appears and flashes for a bit, we get a golf ball that looks like the world before being presented with a, a CVGA or DOS-style menu. It's purple and white. Have you ever seen a purple and white menu on the C64? No, and I don't want to again. <laughs> oh, I hope you like it, because this is what it is. Anyway, you get the options to play, practice, and construction. That's pretty self-explanatory. If you choose to practice, you can practice a full hole, the putting green, the driving range, uh, you know, those three things. Construction allows you to play around with the existing holes, and it's, yeah, it's a nice touch you can you can you could construct stuff i guess if you really want to play around and make your own golf uh, golf courses but it's up to you if you want to just play you click on the play option uh this allows you to choose from one to four players the type of play uh, either stroke or match play uh you only get match play though in two or more players if you don't know the rules it's based on the number of holes won over strokes so it's you you have to win the number of holes basically over strokes number which is you know, how many strokes it takes you to get around the entire entire uh, number of holes it's a different types type of scoring um and then you can edit the players you can change the name uh you can change the handicap to the average distance of your drive which was weird i didn't quite understand what i meant i just put it up loads i just went 400 (laughs) (laughs) yes happy gilmore mode (laughs) yeah and the accuracy accurate and your accuracy so i just put that up to 99 i was like yeah because i'm accurate what are you doing I didn't understand it. Or you can leave them as they are. And the game also, when it first, they'll be providing you with golf plays at the time. So there was Jack Nicholas, I think, when I started it. Yeah. Um, there's other ones as well in there. So if everything's okay, you click on and you get to choose the course um, from Pebble Beach, Cypress Point, Montreal, Oakmont, Olympic, Augusta, St. Andrews, and one that has been specially designed. Uh, by the way, these are it's, we've now got blue text for these. So it's your, it's your blue color from your DOS. Or oh, your CVGA, you know, because CVJs are just blue, purple, white, and black, aren't they? If I remember yep. rightly. So that's what this is. This looks like a DOS game. Then we're into the game itself. Before it starts, you're advised on the wind and the weather for the week, which affects the putting green. So it's like if it's been raining, it tells you to, maybe you need to put a bit harder than normal. If it's not been, if it's been fine, don't go so crazy on the putting. And then you're into the game. So it's a golf game. The game is split down the middle of the screen. The left hand side is an aerial view of the hole. So you can see the hole. It's always there. Uh, The right uh, of the screen shows you a 3D representation with a view from, I thought it was quite far behind the player. So it's going for that leaderboard look, but you're miles behind. You seem to your, your player is very small, and I, and I didn't like. And the course is going off into the distance. At the top of this part, on the right-hand side of the screen, there's a load of information. So you've got the name of the course. I don't know why you need that. The number of the hole. I don't know why you need that. The wind speed and direction. Okay. The par for the hole. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you need that. Who is playing? Yeah, okay. Well, you know. The lie of the ball, which I was like, oh, okay, I don't really know if you need that, but okay. How far to the hole, the number of strokes you've hit, and what club you are holding. Moving up and down, the joystick changes the club, and moving left and right moves a crosshair. Now, it moves it in steps on the overhead view, and every time it does so, it redraws the 3D view on the right. So it's it's kind of weird. I didn't like it. And it's, it's drawn quite quickly. And there's some nice trees, I guess. There's a bit more variation in the trees to look at. But your player's really small. And there's, it, there's something not quite right with the perspective. And I couldn't put my finger on it. Finger on it, sorry. It's just something not right. I, I, it looked weird. There's something off. It's not right. The issue here is that by drawing the view every time, this means that the aiming is not gradual, but in chunky steps. Whereas leaderboard, you know, you just move the crosshair. So your, your view didn't really change that much. You just like, you were looking forward and you moved the crosshair, if I remember rightly. And then that, 
you know, you aimed off to the left or off to the right. That was what you did. Here, it moves the entire view, but it does it in steps. You, you've got no, there's no sensitivity. There's no movement, slow movement. There's no little, little sort of options just to move it slightly to the left. It's like 15 degrees or nothing because there's no fine tuning. I didn't like that. Anyway, once you've decided where to hit it, you press the fire button and a confusing circle appears. A confusing <laughs> circle of, of, of hitting it. So this circle has parts around the sort of rate, around the diameter. It has parts colored in blue, some in brown and some in gray, but no numbers or anything. And so within this, there's a line, you know, there's a radial line that will, when you press the fire button, it sets that line moving around the circle. It starts pointing down to the bottom and it moves up. So it moves to the left, so like a watch, you know, clockwise around this circle. And 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 I don't know, it, pressing the fire button again, I think chooses the amount of back, uh, back speed, so back, you know, how far you pull back the club, so how hard you're going to hit it. Pressing it again on the way back affects the snap of the hook, I think. I don't know. Sometimes this seems to do what you think it will do, and sometimes it will not. I couldn't really make it out. Should you make it to the green? Uh, you know, so basically, you just you know whack it down the fairway. You'll you generally end up in the trees, like I normally did. The ball will bend all over the place. It's got some weird physics in this, some really odd physics. Like you, you, it'll go straight, and if you've hooked it, then it, after about you know two hundred yards, then it'll oh now I better bend to the right. Really weird. Don't really work at all. So yeah, the, where's the green? Where's where was that? Uh, the control system is not great. It's not the worst thing. Should you make it to the green, then the left-hand view becomes a view of the green. So the overhead view is it's like now an overhead view of the green, but it's drawn like you know, like a like a kid's book. Um, it's just chunky and it's got some lines on it mm-hmm. um, that I think are supposed to represent the gradient, but I'm not sure. Um, aiming left to right here actually changes the view in real time on the right, but it's it's like being on a ship as the horizon will lean from the left to the right. Um, Weird. It's really odd rather than you shifting your aim. So instead of turning, it leans, it's, and then the, the hole moves. It's just odd. Pressing fire brings up the circle, and it's here that all bets are off because pressing the fire starts the line around the strangely colored circle, and then pressing it again just makes you take the shot. There's no hook. There's no nothing. There's, there's no way I could discern of knowing just how far or fast you're going to hit it. And also as well, the direction that I seem to be aiming in and where, the, where it actually goes and whether it hits the hole is, hey, you know, it's just like, roll the dice. Who knows? The controls of this are rubbish, uh, but I don't think that's the worst thing. Like I said, it's the physics of the ball. We've seen leaderboard do great golf ball physics and even mini putt. And this this is all over the place in comparison with the ball flying up and then flying down in contravention to the expectations we have of gravity. Just don't work like this. So sometimes you'll do a massive drive, but the ball will just fly nowhere and hit a tree that you were not aiming at. There's no subtlety to the aiming, so it's almost impossible to know where you're going to hit it. And then we get the put in. Taking any shot sees the ball wobble away from you. And sometimes, even when nowhere near the hole, it'll go in. You know, this is just bad. This is a bad golf game. This is out on other machines. It's out on the Amiga, Apple 2GS, and DOS. It feels like a crap conversion from the DOS or the Apple to the C64. That's what this feels like. There's no fun to be had here because there's no real enjoyment in taking a shot or any feeling that you're actually in control of what you're doing. The aiming is crap, the physics are all over the place, and the visuals are poor in comparison to world-class leaderboard. Whilst those other machines may not have had to get that game on them, there was no reason to subject us to this when we do. Don't play this, or at least don't play the C64 version. It's a bad golf game wrapped up in a lot of options and DOS-style presentation. This simply was not a fun golf game. You know, it just made me yearn for leaderboard all the more. What about you? What did you think to this thing? Well, there's, there's a reason why leaderboard is the best golf game and this just demonstrates why this is this is a good reminder of why leaderboard is so brilliant at what it does the stupid thing here is it was a dos game there's a dos version of this yeah. it was 1986 and it is in all the garish garish purple colors and all that like it's just okay this is just why you know you've made a golf game fine and you know you ported it to a machine that had a much superior game possibly to try and 
squeeze a bit of money out of the golf teat. I don't know. I didn't like anything about this at all. I thought it was overloady because it just took forever to load things in and load things in and load things in. But these DOS conversions do. It was yep. way too clicky. So there was loads of clicking, click on this, click on that, click on this, click on this, click, 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 click. Don't need any of that. I'd just come fresh off mini put as well. So I felt the pain of too many clicks and too much loading and these horrible power controls that made no sense whatsoever. You don't need any of that. Um, and I mean, later arcades kind of emulate a little bit of this sort of style, I suppose, in a way. So maybe there's some, you know, arcade games looked at some of the ideas in the little power circle bar for inspiration. and But not like that, they didn't. They sort of look, looked at it and went, let's do it right. Let's do it properly. Let's have <laughs> exactly. an, some kind of indication of power that goes up and then back again. Yeah. Like a golf swing, one might say. Yes. I just small, bitty graphics, and it just wasn't leaderboard for me, and that's and I, and I yearned for it. And I thought, why on earth would anyone play this? Why would you do it? It's more expensive than world-class leaderboard as well. Yeah, so, 12, yeah it is $12.95, wasn't it? Yeah, so the question I asked myself is, why Why would I play this? And then I thought, okay, okay, let's just, you know, let's, not, let's take the comparison goggles off a moment, and let's say, can I play a decent game of golf with this? Barely, but I suppose you could if you really pushed it. It's just boring, arduous, and overcomplicated. So it is those things. And if you can put up with that, and you've never heard of the words leaderboard, or you've never even come across that, which is very unlikely, then you would be crazy to have bought this, and then someone's going to show you the access game leaderboard, and you're going to go, why did I buy this World Tour golf crap? So now you're going to get club envy straight away. You know they've just walked up with um, some really expensive golf clubs, and you've got matchsticks and a snooker key that you've glued a uh, uh, something to the end of the a shoe. Baguette. Yeah, you, it's not good. So just all all kinds of awful. This terrible. I'm surprised it got 55. percent I I would have given it much lower than that. That's like saying it's half good. It's not. It's really horrible. It's more than half bad because it doesn't it it doesn't Kills play a golf. Good, good round of golf. No. No, it and doesn't. seems that the machine is more than capable of doing that. Well, we have, and that's just a crime, isn't it? Just don't bother with this. If you're thinking about playing a golf game on the C64, by now, we've already mentioned three golf games from Access that are better than this, yeah. um, let alone uh, Mini Putt. So even that Nick Faldo's with the multiple Nick Faldo's. Oh, yeah, Nick Faldo's, multiple Nick Faldo's, yeah, yeah. That was better than this rubbish, so no. Yeah. World Tour Golf can bloody do one. Get lost. Yeah, yeah, ball's gone in the rough, and I ain't going back for it. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this is a no. proper. Uh, this is a proper bogey. It is a massive bogey. Yeah, this is. A, this isn't good. This isn't good at all. It's really yeah. not. Oh, there we go. That's that. That's that first half done. We've looked at four games. Two good. Two bad. You know, fifty yeah, percent success. That's actually quite high for us. So you know, I, 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 count, that, I count that as a win of late. <laughs> I we should have beware the Ides of March, really, shouldn't we? <laughs> we really should have. Um, <laughs> anyway, right. We're, on, on the back of that terrible, terrible uh, golf game, we're going to go take a quick break. Um, we'll be coming back for the the back nine, should we say, um, after this, um, or the middle nine. Um, we'll be looking at TV in nineteen eighty eight. So uh, please stay with us, and we'll be back in a mo. <laughs> Heavily frosted cupcakes and gallons of milky tea to our much-loved show sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you will find a whole bunch of brilliant audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. I can tell you, David is a multi-talented fellow of some renown. And to prove it, let's take a listen to an excerpt from his amazing audiobook, Escape from the Commodore 64, which is available right now. Frustrated, she pushed the corner of the aha post-op back into place. Stay, she whispered. She waited. When it fell loose again with a soft thwack, she threw her hands in the air and instead let herself fall backwards onto her bed. 
With a pillow held over her head, Sarah screamed out her frustrations. If only Morton could climb out of his music video and whisk her away into staticky bliss. A girl could wish. She thought of Reese's first crush on the back of his door, her checkered love matching his checkered past of returning games, or worse, making others do it for him. Well, colour me convinced that sounds blooming awesome. For more, you can visit davidhearnwriter.com. That's David, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com, to grab yourself some of that juicy, juicy stuff. What are you waiting for? Indeed, we are back. It is March 1988, and these are the things that were uh, amusing us on our, apart from the CC tour, on our TV screens. Uh, 3rd of March, BBC One airs Around the World with Willie Fogg, former CBBC and broom cover presenter Andy Crane singing the theme tune, a special mm. event called National Willie Fogg Day, which Crane invented. <laughs> Can't just invent a, a day. I I'm not that. Uh, will also appear on 28th of April to air the final episode and celebrate the final broadcast. There we go. Yes, for the first time, they actually showed a full series, a full animated series from start to finish. I know. The no- mad, novelty of that. Yeah, well, they normally didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. No, I know. We know we got bits and bobs, and it's just like, oh, just deal with it. So, right. contrary yeah. to what you might think, this is a Spanish-Japanese animated television adaptation. I never I never got Spanish-Japanese from it, I just have to say. Did you not? I thought it no. was French. I thought it was... It's Dogtanian French. I thought that uh, was... It's oh, Spanish-Japanese. Spanish? probably. So I think it's the same company. I could be wrong, though. Please don't kill me, Google people. Um, <laughs> I don't know that for sure. This is an adaptation of the 1873 novel, obviously, Around the World in 80 Days, by Jules Verne, produced by the Spanish studio BRB International be right and Televisión Española. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jules Verne. And animation by Japanese studio Nippon Animation. So that's who did it all. Ah. Um, now, here's the thing. With all the international versions, the height of popularity still remains in Spain, where a sequel series, Willy Fogg 2... <laughs> was produced in 1993, which has the characters in adaptations of Jules Verne's science fiction novels Journey to the Centre of the Earth and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Furthermore, in 2008, the series spawned a live-action theatrical musical show in celebration of its 20th anniversary, which prompted me to ask the question, did the idea of live-action Willy bring in the wrong crowd? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, who knows? I mean, the, the term Willy Fogg... <laughs> It's a <laughs> sounds like a euphemism. Did you to watch me. these? Did you join in with this? Did you join in with the sing song? Fog, I'm the one who made the bit. All that. It's the eighty days around the around world. Around the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that one. one. Yeah, it's another yes. cra- catchy eighties uh, theme tune. Isn't it probably, I probably did. Yeah. yeah. Um, Do you remember because the, the characters who were in it sing the sing the song in itself? Yeah. So, and there, there was actually obviously these are redubbed. So these the this the international version is in obviously a different language. We obviously saw the redubbed version for our English minds, yes. where we get the so these. But obviously, they sang then sang the theme tune. I've never heard the theme tune sang in any other language. I'd like to see if I can track that down. Is it the familiar. same tune, just yeah. with different? Just yeah. obviously, that's yep. quite. Imagine that's quite tricky fitting fitting different languages into the same tune because of obviously the the way that you know different. You know, they have different. Uh, well, they found and, a way. They found yeah, I guess, a way. I guess. But um, can you remember any of the characters in it besides Willy Fog? No. Rigadon, Rigadon. Here I am, a Rigadon. A Tico, the mascot. No. Tico as well. I have to say that, apart from the theme tune, I wasn't a massive fan of Willy Fogg. No, uh, I've, no. Tried, I've been, been trying. I was thinking of rewatching them, but I haven't because 
I remember then that the baddie in it has a shiny eye, and I don't like things with shiny eyes, so I avoided it. <laughs> Beware the shiny-eyed guy. <laughs> yes, he has a shiny eye. That's how you know he's the baddie, because he goes, yes, I'll get that Willy Fog. And his so eye did, goes, Did he then like go it. on to become the uh, baddie in uh, Last Action Hero? It could be, yes. Um, yes. Charles Dance, he has a shiny <laughs> eye. It's a strange career move, Charles Dance, from that to Game of Thrones <laughs> to from Willy Fog. It's a natural progression on his CV, I think. <laughs> You know, you know, when you're a jobbing actor. Alien 3, Game of Thrones, <laughs> Willy Fogg. What can you do? I do a mean, shiny eye. Show me. Ah, not that eye. <laughs> Put it away. Goodness me. Put it away, Charles. <laughs> Enough dance. Dance for me, Charles. Dance for me, Charles. Ah, um. that is very shiny. <laughs> you can- and slightly wet at the tip. Ew. <laughs> Uh, looks like you've got a bit of willy fog. <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> we apologise now we've ruined willy fog for you if you are a fan. It might just put you off for life. The idea of Charles dance, dancing naked with his willy fog. And sorry, Charles, as well. You know, you've got, we've got, we, have nothing, we have nothing against you. There's no, there's no, we've got no beef with you. Just want to be <laughs> clear on that. Try and, as long as you don't try and hypnotise us with your shiny eye. Exactly, yes. No swinging uh, that thing around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that went. That took a turn. It did. <laughs> That's very normal. Right, 11th of March. The final episode of the long-running children's series Play School is broadcast on BBC One. Although repeats would continue until October. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make sure you... That would confuse children. Now, children, this is the final episode. And then two weeks later, now, children, this is the final episode. <laughs> eh, I, can't if I feel like I've seen this before. Yeah, you haven't. <laughs> you haven't. I mean, not that there was some ongoing, like, overarching, like, narrative or anything, was there? Not like, not like breaking, breaking Bad or anything. No, they, well, they just repeated the logic of it, didn't they? And the Teletubbies yeah. came along. But what was that through the round window? Do you remember the opening yeah, for through, this? Yeah, which, 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 which window will it be? Yeah. yeah, through the round window, retirement and redundancy awaited for the... Uh, <laughs> The crew yes, of people wrote, in there. The last episode was indeed bleak. Humpy, Humpty just in the corner, angry. Jemima yep. shooting up. Big Ted beating <laughs> up little Ted and stealing his doll money. And Hamble <laughs> offering to knock you off for a fiver. God, that's dark. <laughs> that is a, that's like play school dark web. <laughs> God, yeah, that's like imagine if they go back to that. Like could be going, but what happened after play school? They're interviewing all the characters, and there's like they're talking. Is Big Ted going? Well, I had to beat little Ted up for his money. I was skint. <laughs> And then his little Ted going, you didn't have to do that though, did you? Like seven up. Yeah. And then Hamble's like, that's all they are cranked up and rancid. <laughs> so he's got no teeth. Yeah, no gummy. Yeah, she's all gummy and no proper, teeth. Proper gummer. I always used to get Play School and, and Play play Away. Was it Play, play Away? Play Away, yeah. P-L-A-Y. Play yeah, Away, Play Away. Play away, play away, play away. Yeah. I, I didn't like either of them. Yeah. Um, the unfortunately named Brian Kant was in one of those. He, he was in Play Away, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he did appear in both of them. Derek Griffiths and people like that were in there. Floella yeah, Benjamin wanted. Floella, yeah, she was lovely though. Really in nice. Play School. It was, but I, I, just, I just didn't like him. I think I was I was too old by this point for Play Away. Play School. I, mean, I, was, I, I was 16. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know why I was still watching it. You may be demographically <laughs> challenging them. You know. There's nothing in this show for me. Absolutely. Where's my Willy Fog? Look, you can watch this. At least you can find out how yogurts get made. There's got to be more it. to life than that. <laughs> Charles, do your dance. Dance for <laughs> was, me, Charles. I was only interested in the last episode when it went really dark. I thought that was really good. <laughs> Anyway, 18th of March, <laughs> the final US edition of Top of the Pops is broadcast. There we go. Thank God. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Show that no one in the US understood, as you've rightly pointed out before. They didn't get it. I mean, I know I saw the log I know the logic of it, right? Lots going on in the US, loads of recording acts not wanting to jump the Atlantic to visit a crap BBC studio. Makes logistical, you know, sense to have yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. have a dual broadcast show. But the weird formatting, I've put I've got a couple of YouTube clips that we'll put in the show notes of it. The weird formatting of it, it's like a UK show but made with Americans who don't quite get what it is, why they're there or what they're doing. Yep. So they just don't quite get it. And of course, we understand the idea of pops and hit parades and people dancing in the studio and doing that. I can't I mean, they're in that environment. They must have been like, what are we doing? What is this? Why, <laughs> why do the Brits want this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there is a lot of hair, as you've noted, in those years. Total pop clips. There is. There's also um, just stops in the middle for some American adverts. And that clip yeah, is linked to, do. so I'll share that. Uh, because I was, interest- I was interested that Mad Jacks was having their lowest price on audio, car, stereo, and video. And you could get a third off carpets at any branch of San Diego carpet. Bargains. Bargain. Absolute bargain. I mean, I don't yeah. know what networks it was on in the US, this. I've no idea. But the US had the Hot 100, and they, they used the words hits more than pops for their stuff. That's how they differentiated us. We had pops, and they had hits. <laughs> They had the Big Mac. We had the Big Mick. <laughs> the Golden um, Axe. We had the Golden exactly. Arches. Their buns had no seeds. Um, <laughs> but um, I watched the full episode that we've got there, and, and it is weird, isn't it? It's weird. it is I mean, the axe are the axe of the axe, but I yeah. just don't think it really washed with the Americans. I don't think they quite no, did it. It'd be interesting if, if we've got any American listeners who tuned into the US version of Tyler Pops. I can't imagine there's many and what they thought of it because all the presenters on it, I've never heard of any of them. Did you hear of any of them? I also, I, I also wonder as well, was it... Was it nationally syndicated? Because obviously no, American TV is incredibly, hugely different because it's so massive. It's so yeah. different to the UK, whereas the UK, the BBC is just, you know, yeah. nationally syndicated. Whereas in America, you've got all those WKRB, you know, KRKB and stuff like that all, all across all across. Country. I don't know if it, was, if, it had, if it was on a commercial station, as you say, then it's, I don't know. Was it on CBS or NBC or ABC or whatever there was then? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. It might have no. been. You, you could probably dig into it and find out, but I'm not going to. Yeah. I mean, it obviously didn't last long because we've actually covered when it started on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's been around a while. So. Well, it's not that long. That's what I mean. It's like... We oh, said, Top of the Pops, I thought you meant it's been around a while. Yeah, no, Top of the Pops, has, but the American version, I mean, we mentioned yeah. the American version starting because we mentioned it not so long I, back. I think there was... Every time there was a change of ownership by, in the BBC end, and by ownership, I don't mean changes in the BBC, but I mean that the programme got a new producer. Everything about Top of the Pops changed. Every producer kind yeah. of brought their twist and then... They had one producer later in later after this actually once they biffed this US thing. They kind of stuck around for quite a while and kind of set the benchmark for all of the nineties. And um, I forget the name of the guy, a young guy, and he brought in a lot of new and interesting things to it. A lot of live acts and a lot of British acts and live acts came back. Yeah, yeah. And so it became it was less about getting the famous names in and more about getting actual musicians into play live and stuff. And they made it live again, I think, for the first time in a while, properly live. So interesting times, but there you go. There you go. Twenty uh, first of March. Gets even more exciting. Anglia's silver statue of a knight on horseback, Ident, is consigned to history, having been used as Anglia's identity since the station went on air on the air 29 years earlier. It is replaced by a new identity, a quasi a quasi heraldic stylized A made of triangles. That is pointed out on that video you linked to. It looks like uh, the Triforce. It, it was designed by Robinson Lambie Nern at a cost of half a million pound. Ouch. Out about Anglia is also given a new look to coincide with the ident change. Do things get more exciting? 
it was a big deal. And I'll tell you what, the, I didn't realise when I watched the original, the original Anglia um, Ident, because I, I, I always remember the short version. So I, all I remember was... Yeah. But in that version, it went on forever. I was like, God, people must have been bored out their minds waiting for that. Like, sat looking, it's Ident going, is this thing ever going to end? It's a, a whole piece of classical music's in there. I'm like, oh my God, I... And the guy filming that thing must have been like, there's only so many ways I can rotate around this thing. <laughs> I can I can change I can spin this night about on a horse. Yeah. <laughs> close up, mid close up, really close up. <laughs> oh dear. Half a million quat loose for that. Did have CG cloth animation though in the new one, didn't it? That's yeah, quite that's, not, that's quite yeah. it's quite clever for night. Very advanced, very advanced for its time, a bit of the old CG cloth. They were touching CG cloth for the first time. <laughs> Absolutely. It cost them half a million pounds. <laughs> half a million pounds worth of digital cloth. It's probably what you need to clean up that night. <laughs> digital cloth sounds like a really naff band. It does. They're, they're the, uh, what, they're the uh, warm-up act for digital persuasion. <laughs> we are digital cloth. Oh. <laughs> we will touch you. <laughs> I'm not paying half a million pounds for you. Get off. <laughs> That's just the angry of bloody TV I did music. Get off. They play, they play it spinning round like the night. <laughs> just as nights. Yeah. We are heraldic. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yes. Yeah. 25th of March, BBT BBC Two shows Two of Us, a gay themed television film. It was produced as part of the BBC School's Scene programme and was intended for young adults. It confronted the Thatcherite government's attempt to ban gay sex education in schools via the controversial and since repealed Section 28 legislation. Given this backdrop, the BBC opted not to show it during the day and it was screened late at night on this day, even though it was originally created for a school audience. In 1990, the play was finally shown during the day when it was broadcast in a lunchtime slot. And everyone was at school. <laughs> yep, everyone missed it. <laughs> so why not show it during tea time or something? Uh, it's not. I did watch a bit of this. Okay, good intentions. It's not very good though. It's terribly acted. Yeah, I thought it was quite. I've watched the bit and it was very wooden. Not. It, I think it was obviously aimed at schools. School, that school education piece very clearly. So yeah. it was never going to work outside of that context. I felt, I felt a bit sorry because it was obviously it was kind of you could see where they were pitching it. You know, it, it was, and it's very important that these things had an outlet mm-hmm. at that time and cra- kind of crazy and cowardly of the BBC crazy that they would produce it and amazing that they did cowardly that they decided not to you know, count out of the government's regulation stupid ridiculous regulation at the time yep. um and and you no know, not do it in the right time and just silly really i mean i suppose they did put it on but at late at night when no one could see it and then later on how many years later? A few years. A few years later. Yeah, nineteen. But everyone forgot later. about it. Yeah, and then and then also as well, they they changed. You put noted here that they, the film has two endings. So it does just kind of weird because the film concerns itself with these two friends at school, and one of them runs away because he's he's gay, um, and he's getting harassed. His his mate gets confused between his girlfriend and his love for him, and goes That's and right. then, and then he, he goes off, and then so th- this is the plot. So the film has two endings according to this. Um, Phil returns to Matthew at the beach, so they've they've gone off. They've gone off to live it. Where is it? Uh, Seaford, Seaford on the Sussex Seaford, coast, Sussex coast, yeah. Um, and they they sort of basically run together into the ocean because they're swimmers. That's how they, you know, that's they used to hang around, go swimming together. Um, and that's you know that's that ending. That's the original ending. But they were released, re-released in 1988 with an ending where Phil appears to leave with his his girlfriend instead. But Matthew decides that life must go on and that he's his own person. It's like, oh well, it's like completely kind of. I don't know whether that undercuts the message a bit or does a little bit, doesn't it? Might, Change, yeah. it's even cha- changing it from its original is silly. So yeah, just leave it as it was. Seems yep. odd. Yeah. Anyway, been properly George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Jar Jar Binks, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
probably in the in the new version. And there's loads of little things running around Seaford Beach. Loads of them just CGI'd in badly. My give up. My give up. <laughs> Cha Cha, pass out the booba. <laughs> Sometime in March. <laughs> Sorry, Judge, get out of here, Judge. Goodness <laughs> sake, I told you before, you're not welcome. Uh, sometime in March, I didn't have a date on this, number 73 is broadcast for the final time on ITV. It had been known as 73, that's the number seven, the letter T and the number three since January. Do you remember that? It it still was number 73. I remember number 73, but I don't remember it being 73. Well, there's a few things that I didn't realise about it. Firstly, that each season of number 73 was set in a different place in a different imaginary place it was still number 73 but new stuff was happening in and around there so oh. 73 was part of that kind of remit in the last season as it were right so i didn't realize that the sandy toxic character was actually playing a character i, I thought it was just sandy toxic but it wasn't she yeah. actually played a character in it who gradually got younger with every season that's the stick of her character okay yeah weird isn't it yeah. so the show would feature actors in character hosts and they would perform comedic stuff um, around the guests and music videos and all that kind of stuff. But according to the blurb, much of the show was improvised and a whole week of rehearsals plus an extensive dress rehearsal on Friday preceded each live broadcast, which doesn't, to me, shout, it's the, if he's rehearsing something, <laughs> how is it improvised? I don't know. That's just not, stupid. That's that's that, that broke, they broke their own rules. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's illogical, Captain. It is. And there was obviously a new character. In the final season, there was a character in it called Rob the Builder, who played an out-of-work actor trying to make extra money by moonlighting as a builder. There's no connection between Rob the Builder and Bob the Builder. So they had someone in doing barra jobs. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. For those who don't know and are not from the Grimsby area, a barra job is what you do for a bit of cash in hand. Yeah, cash in hand work, yeah. yeah you know. you, I, I can build that fence here. Don't, you, know, you don't have to. Just pay, you just pay his cash in hand and it don't go through the books then. Yeah, not that we recommend that because the HS, HMRC, Her Majesty's Royal... Customs and office don't take kindly to tax evasion. No, bar- <laughs> for barra jobs. No, no. But if you but if you need your fence building, then where you men? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cash in hand. Cash in hand. Yeah, govy. Some people call them govies. Anyway, so the following September saw the end of that off, and that was when that um, motor mouth started with uh, Neil Buchanan and all that. So oh, I'm sure we'll get to that in September. I guess. Yeah, eventually. We'll mention that new shows for this month on the 9th of March. There was Chelmsford one two three. Um, yeah. You never, did you ever like this? I never got into it at all. Um, I tried watching a bit of it, and I could sort of see that it might have been my thing had I persevered. Where was the humour level pitched at? Um, it's quite. I think you were, it's a bit of Blackaddery sort of thing, but it's it's sort of it's like an early version of what was that other one? There's been something recently about was it plebs or something? The plebs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Similar. It's 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 that, but I mean, this came from uh, the people who did Who Dares Wins, so it's yeah, a sitcom, which was always okay. And 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 the the humour in it was that Jimmy Mulville was a so it's a basically who. Uh, uh, set in early Roman Britain, so Chelmsford one two three, so year one two three. Set in Chelmsford in the year one hundred and twenty three. Romans have conquered Britain, and the Britons um, are there. So what it is, is essentially you've got Roy McGrath as the who's like the leader of the the British. You know, What's his the, name? The, Mug the Blood or something? Yeah, like. it's something like I can't remember the name. Blackford. Got, is it Blackford? I think. Yes, it's, and then you have got Jimmy Mulville, who's a, a Roman, and and it's essentially they're it's kind of Bilko esque a bit. It's that sort of yeah, like they're the, trying to the, outsmart the, each other, aren't they? Yeah, the, 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 the Britons are always trying to get one over on the Romans and by yeah. you know, having schemes and stuff like that and things like that. So it's that kind of set up. But yeah, so it's by the people who did Who Dares Wins, Jimmy, uh, Romy Grad, Jimmy Millville, Philip Pope. Um, it is good. I th- I used to laugh for this. I mean, I used to really like Who Dares Wins as well as a, yeah. as a sketch show on yeah. Channel 4. I thought that was quite quite good. I always remember the sort of point of view ones they used to do. There's a good one they did with a, with a point of view of a cat going to uh, get spayed. Um, <laughs> and, and then the cat passes out and comes back and it's just shocked to find that its balls have gone. <laughs> okay. Um, so that that, sound, that does good. it sound hilarious? That sounds it, horrible. It's just because Jimmy Millville's doing 
the voice of the cat. And when he's shocked, shocked he's like, what's going on? Well, I feel a bit thinking, where my ball's gone? <laughs> it's like, um, okay. So it was good. It is good. And I did like that. So I, I do think the Chelmsford 1, 2, 3 um, was actually quite funny. I used to like what. Yeah, that. I mean, I watched that. I found the entire series on YouTube. We'll put the link in the show notes. I watched the first part, the first one. It looks like it's the sort of thing that would, would be quite funny in that kind of classic sitcom setup. Yeah. So, you know, and not, no, not many sets. And I think there was in the first episode, there's a Roman body on the floor and he comes in and goes, why have you killed that? You know, there's just like the kind of setups that you'd expect to this characters being what they are. It looks quite funny. Roman McGrath is always good to watch. So I might check it yeah. out. Uh, 13th of March was Mr. Majika. Creepy, <sighs> creepy looking thing. I, d- I, I never liked this. Never. No, no, I no. no. I don't know what it was, if I'm perfectly honest. Could you explain what it was? Mr. Majika is a teacher at a primary school, but he's no ordinary teacher. Is apparently he can fly into things and he does magic and stuff like that and can turn. He turns into a bicycle. He turns into a bicycle. I think so. Yeah. He says there's boring lessons on a magic carpet, which he then turns. Oh, and then he turns his magic carpet into a bicycle. He could turn into a bicycle as well. Apparently, he's a wizard. <laughs> he's obviously some kind of wizard, but he looks creepy. He's got orange face, round glasses, and a really crazy haircut. Yeah. Um, I don't like it. It's the sort of thing that it's the stuff of nightmares. Yes, it sort of sits in that um, Wessel Gummidge camp. Yeah, it's just they go for they think, they think kids like this kind of thing, and I I don't know that they do. maybe they do. I've never no one's ever had fond memories of Mr. Majika as far as I'm aware. No, no, they so, have not. But it's not, it's not my it totally wasn't my my demographic. For this at all. It was kind of that silly kids programs that annoyed the hell out of me. Give me Scooby Doo any day of the week. Much more yeah, realistic. Abs- yeah, absolutely. Uh, 14th of March was South. I couldn't find nothing on this. I couldn't find no. any. You know, I looked. I looked for Phil Redmond. It's by Phil Redmond. <laughs> who did that's Grey like, Jill. That's, that's, all I, that's all I could find out. That's <laughs> yeah, it. He did Grey Jill and then he did something called South on ITV. Did he do, did he do Brookside for Redmond? He did Brookside as well, yeah. So this is, you know, it, you know, he's done a lot of stuff, but he also did something called South. Yeah, check it out. And that's it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't find anything on it. 21st of March, Lucky Ladders started. It did. Do you remember um, much about it? I, wa- I watched that episode. I found an episode and watched it, and it made me laugh because it's terrible. Um, and it didn't. It rang a bell <laughs> as to what is. it was. It's like a crappy. Uh, it's like a sort of proto chain letters in a way. Same, same setup. Same, I think, from the same yeah. family of stuff. Yeah. So this was hosted by Lenny Bennett, who ironically died in two thousand and nine after falling off a ladder. That's true. Clearly, clearly not a, a lucky one. <laughs> Not lucky for him. No, that's what I mean. So, you know, anyway. So, yeah, so the, the, the point of this game was you, you had two sets of contestants and you got, a, there was a word at the top. The first one I saw, there was prison at the top or something like that and treasure at the bottom. And so there was like eight gaps in between them and you and they would give you the, you would take a letter either below prison so, and it would say prison and it would say B. You know, it would yeah. give you a B and it might like be like break because it rhymes with break and then you get like a g and it might be glass and it would work its way down by changing the word and you'd have to yeah. guess them all the way down if you didn't guess the word it would go to the other team and they could get an extra letter and so on and so forth and if you go, if you made the final connection then you went to go to the the prize and you could win a holiday i think there was, was holidays mm. to the alps and stuff and all kind of places so prizes were quite good but it was really really low rent studio yeah, i mean I they're really close together it was like you know claustrophobically close <laughs> Um, it's yeah, weird. Not much room in there. No, and his hair didn't look like that. He's had a haircut since that picture what we've got there. But for some reason, in my head, I always had down that Lenny Lenny Bennett was a ventriloquist. Um, <laughs> and I always thought he did Lenny the Lion. 
I don't know why. So maybe it's Lenny Bennett, Lenny the Lion. Um, but it turns out I was actually thinking of uh, Lenny the Lion was mouthed by Terry Hall. Um, yes, and I he found was, a clip, yeah. I found a clip of him, which we'll put in, where he's he's, he's, he's on the rainbow, and he bring, <laughs> he comes on, and it's literally carrying an old sack that's supposed to be a lion. So I put a picture there of the lion, which is... <laughs> it's a creepy-looking thing. Well, I'll tell you what, it looks nothing like Lenny Bennett. No, he doesn't. Even, no, no, even no, he after doesn't. he'd fallen off that ladder, he didn't look like that. I, I don't know why I thought this was, but I think something in my head had conflated. It's probably the name Lenny, what it is. What you can't see there on that picture is the body of the lion, which is literally just a sack. Well, yes. People were entertained by the simplest of things back then. <laughs> and it's very odd as well, because in that rainbow clip, he's stroking Bungle. <laughs> he's like, oh, God, you're, more, you're nearly as fairy as I am. <laughs> what is it with these weird characters? There's that thing, Orville, there's that monkey. Don't know. Oh, uh, Chuckles. Chuckles, Ch- Chuckles Snuffles, was it? The monkey one? I, I uh, joke uh, that one. Yeah, and that then, one. And um, then Keith Harris went there. And then you had all the other weirdos. And... Well, there's R- Ralph Harris and Emu. There was uh, Bernie, Bernie Clifton and the Ostrich. Well, let's not forget, I mean, the last percentage of the humour was that there was one guy, what was his name? The guy that had the broken microphone and the car door. And... Oh, Norman Collier. Norman Collier just spent an entire career. It, part of his act initially was imitating a chicken. <laughs> So, yeah, it was. True. Yeah, yeah. So was. people were entertained by the simple things back then. Simple times. Yeah, and you had things like Jiminy, Jiminy Cricket, or Jimmy Cricket. Jimmy Cricket, the way he tells them. Yeah, the way he, he tells them that with his with his wellies on the wrong feet. Yes, and who was that other really weird one that used to just go spook all the time? What was he called? <laughs> oh, what was he called? I can't remember. There were so many of them at this point. It was, yeah. it was on telly all the time. They had a lot of space to fill with crap comedians. Stu Francis, Crushy Grape. Finally. Just to round off, 29th of March, codename Kirill, Cyril, Kirill? Kyril, Kyril, K-Y-R-I-L. This was a Cold War espionage drama starring Ian Charlson, Edward Woodward, Den O'Melia, Joss Ackland, and Richard E. Grant. This bit made me laugh from the write-up. It was aired over two consecutive nights, not this bit, this isn't funny, in the UK in March 1988, uh, due to a transmission error at the time of the original UK broadcast on ITV. This this show, this programme was a two-part spy thriller, and I suppose it was really complex. So due to an error, three minutes of the programme were missing for British viewers in 1988, <laughs> and that footage contains information critical to the plot. Of course it does. <laughs> MI6 operative Peter Jackson tells Lawrence Scullby that he must pretend to be a Russian agent in order to gain Kirill's confidence and tells Scullby to use the words for the love of the motherland as a code phrase to convince him. And that you was might gone. need that info. <laughs> when you're watching it, it's like, what's happening? What, what's he said that for? That's a strange thing to say. <laughs> Where's um, Lenny I, Bennett when you need him and Lenny the Lion? <laughs> Absolutely. I can only be, I can only assume that this was being broadcast by the TVAM crew. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, the T-boy had just gone, oh, I forgot about the first three minutes. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. I'm sure it was nothing important. <laughs> <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> What's he on about, Motherland? <laughs> oh, this is rubbish. This is almost as if the first three minutes were missing. <laughs> oh, put, put lucky ladders back on. Like a critical three minutes, not like an any any ordinary three minutes. No. Like the, the bit that you really need to know. It's like having a jigsaw piece missing out of a puzzle, isn't it? I know that made me laugh. So it's just just typical of British typical. TV in the eighties. It is like, very oh, it typical. Matter. It doesn't matter. That bit won't doesn't be. Matter. You know, don't matter. Well, show it backwards. Show the first episode last the last episode first, <laughs> yeah. just for a laugh. Yeah, just cut them up into chunks. Go, you know, go full on. Uh, what's his face? William Burroughs. <laughs> just edit the entire program into nonsense. Yes, cut it up into different lines and techniques. Uh, absolutely, cut up technique. I like rather. <laughs> there we go. There you go. That's your TV. We had God marches drop. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the, the most interesting thing was half a million pounds on an ident. 
<laughs> yeah, we're back to that. Do you know, this is the beginning of the uh, TV blues. We had this a, a, a year ago or a couple of years ago when the best thing that happened in the month on TV was an ident change. Yeah. Things don't, yeah. things honestly in the TV land are very bland at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. The more, the more they change, the, the more they, more idents they change, the more it stays the same. Yeah. Should we say? Right. There we go. We're going to go away for a quick break. We will be back. We've got four more games still to come up. So please stay with us and give us your time. Jumbo Sausage and Chips to our delicious show sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com, where you will find an amazing collection of audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. David recently accepted the position of Deputy Mayor of Targ, and yet still found time to write the awesome book, Escape from the Commodore 64. Just have a listen to this. Nell spun on her heel and glared at her, finger pressed to her lips. It was too late. Visitors! A voice crackles over an unseen PA system. Stay a while. Rather not, Sarah grumbled. Stay forever, the voice boomed. Nell threw her arms in the air, her frustration evident even from the other end of the room. Frustration grew to fear as a robot glided into view from a platform above. Blimey, I'm grabbing me some copies of that and I'm taking them to Dizzo or Lave. To get your own copy of that and many, many more, visit davidhernwriter.com. That's david, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com. Don't rest on your retros now. Hit your blast button and get over there. And we're back. Four more games in this half. Hopefully, we'll have just as high a hit rate as we had in that first section where we had a you know 50%, 50% high. That's uh, quite good for us. So uh, let's see if we can carry that uh, level on. Let's get into stuff. So our first game, uh, we've got another submarine simulator. Another one. Uh, two in one episode. This is the Hunt for Red October. Uh, pricey. 15 quid. Very pricey. Um, very pricey. Um, so this is the game based on Tom Clancy's first novel. Um, not the film. The film wasn't out yet. And this concerns itself with a Russian submarine commander who is trying to defect and bring with him the new submarine that the Russians have developed that can run almost silently with a brand new Caterpillar drive. So in the height of the Cold War, as this was written in 1984, the thought of a silent nuclear-equipped Russian submarine being able to park itself just off the coast of America is literally the stuff of US military nightmares. Because essentially, because you could essentially just launch a nuke at Washington and it would be there. I mean, no time to react; it'd be done. So the book is actually credited with bringing the genre of the techno thriller into the mainstream. Mm. There you go. It was uh, Clancy's first. It's despite writing about the government, CIA, and international conflict, and Clancy being, you know, quite linked with all that kind of thing. You know, when you think Tom Clancy, you think that clandestine military do, operations yeah. and stuff. Well, Tom Clancy was working at an insurance agency when he wrote this that he bought from his grandmother. <laughs> okay. So kind of weird. Amazing that the author, probably most connected with video games and militarism, thinks Splinter Cell, Ghost Recon, Rainbow Six, Aye. all those games, you know, all that lot. Um, he's, n- he's never worked in the military because he was myopic. Yeah. Huh. So he never actually did. Yeah, it's astonishing really so all, i always thought he was some kind of military advisor i just thought you know he then turned his hand to writing books because a lot of his early stuff i was like we must have done but no he just made it all up yeah, play. <laughs> weird so this game is based on the book as like i said the film does not appear until 1990 
uh, there's actually another version of the game based on the film that's released in 1990. So there is. we'll get another Hunt for October sometime later. This was released by Grand Slam Entertainment, and the C64 version was coded by Jeff Gammon. That's J-E-F-G-A-M-O-N. This is a man who obviously has issues with double letters in his name. <laughs> uh, it's kind of weird. Or outside of that, or Jeff Gamon. I don't know, Gamon? Gamon? It's weird. Anyway, got visuals by Jason Kingsley. It's not clear, though, whether that's the case. This was released for loads of formats, and the credits are a bit all over the place. They're just kind of all lumped together. There's one manual for every... It's just You get a manual for it, but it's just for every format. It's just got every credit in it, so who knows? So the game itself wastes no time and starts you straight in. So kind of like the other submarine game, there's no title screen. You just start in. When it loads up, you're in. So the screen is split in half with a map of the North Atlantic in the top half of the screen and the icons you will use to control your attempted defection at the bottom. The game follows the plot of the book, starts off with the, uh, the Red October already in the sea and off. And it's your job to get to the Americans so they can have the new subtech. Um, you start off to the you kind of to the north of Scotland. You're in that the North Sea. Uh, is it, what's that? What is it? The North Sea? What's the, is it? The Bering? No, what's the sea called around the top? Is it the Bering Sea? The Top Sea. Can't remember what. It's not called the Top Sea. It's not called Turvey. <laughs> That's the bottom. The topsy, it's the topsy-turvy. <laughs> it's up there. It's north of Scotland. You're up there. And your position is depicted by a red submarine-shaped sort of icon or whatever, and you're up there. So you start off to there. You, the game The game is fully icon-driven, and your your icon is, is a, your cursor is a hammer and sickle. Obviously. Kind of, kind of so you can move this about freely. You move it all around the screen. There's plenty of controls to get to grips within this. I'll do my best to get through some of them, or most of them, and sort of say what they do. There's quite a lot here. So when the game starts, you've got five icons across the bottom. So the UI takes up the bottom half of the screen. In the bottom left of the, of the UI, there's five icons across there. They are your sonar, the engines, the weapons, the periscope, and the map. Next to these, across the bottom, is the is an information panel that sort of is a bit sort of a bit taller. So at the top of that, you've got the time and the date. If you click on that, it switches between the time and the date. You've got the speed indicator, a visual speed indicator. You've got then the speed in numerical form. You've got the heading and the depth that you are at. And uh, then there's also at the bottom there's the contour display button and the sonar display button. Next to these are a compass and a visual depth indicator, so you can kind of see how deep you are, you know, where, where your uh, where your uh, submarine is. So let's move across. Uh, if you press the sonar button, uh, this kind of takes you to the sonar icons. So the icons all change. This so this is quite sort of context contextually based you press one of these sort of header icons and it takes you into the sub menus but it, ju- it just changes those five icons so it's kind of all just stays the same just the icons change so you can bring up a more detailed view of the ocean around you you can ping your sonar to look for enemies uh, you can also bring up a graphical representation of the ocean around you and this allows you to see this in all directions and that's kind of like a wireframe visual so you can if you've gone you know if you've dived the you know if you've dived quite deep it's kind of a, a, a view of the sort of seabed so you can see whether there's rocks and you're you know about to hit you or anything like that and you can also bring up sonar signatures for enemy ships i think i think that's what it is so if you get a, if you get pinged by an enemy ship you can kind of recognize which one it is if you go into the engines engines menu this brings up the option to run on full nuclear power so yeah full steam ahead or auxiliary so a little bit slower and quieter now you can also run on the normal propeller or you can turn on the silent caterpillar drive the weapons icon then brings up the number of torpedoes allows you to manually aim them it allows you to deploy flak and it allows you to shoot them as well. Finally, the periscope option lets you use your periscope, and that brings up a 3D view of the world around you in the top half of the screen in all directions, so you can sort of move and look, look in all directions. Uh, but of course, you have to be close to the surface to do this, because if you try and bring up your periscope, click the periscope icon, and you, you've dove quite, you, you've dived quite deep. They're all grayed out. They're all blacked out, so you can't do 
with that. In the other in the other part, if you press the speed, heading, or depth options, this brings up a small set of options again that changes where they are, and that allows you to increase or decrease you know your speed, your heading, or your depth. And then you press the execute button or your cancel button if you think actually no, I don't want to do that. So you can speed up, slow down, change your heading, uh, change how deep you are, or anything like that. In this manner, you can get pretty quickly control most aspects of your sub easily and quickly. And so once learned, I thought the navigation is as, you know, as fast as you would expect like a mouse-driven, icon-driven game to be with a joystick. It's not mouse-driven. Obviously, on the Amiga and, and you know, things with the mouse, this is going to be easier to sort of navigate. But you've got a joystick, and so it comes with all the um, downsides of that. But it, this does a quite a decent job. The the uh, icon, the, sort of the, the pointer moves quite quickly. It's not so bad. Uh, there's also a message window just above where your icons are. And you, in here, you get warnings of nearby crashes mines you get confirmations of your orders carried out and, and anything that you're doing should you die and you will you get like a front page of a newspaper describing how you died and some geopolitical consequences of this usually the russians and then it says continued on page three so like that so when this first boots boots up it, it it didn't seem enticing to me i have to say this didn't i was like oh okay because it got quite a good rescore it got 80 odd percent what was it 81 percent this so the icons are a bit chunky and bitty the visuals are a bit you know they're nothing to write home about however however i gave a few goes um i had a look through the manual so we'll link to that so go have a look at the manual and quite soon and so the manual is for the amiga version but it still does describe the c64 version so you can understand what's going on it's just the amiga icons in there but you get but you can make out what they are it actually became uh, second nature flicking from options to options and trying to steer the craft where it needs to go there's some really nice touches to this like being able to see the lay of the underwater seabed in the sonar option and the visual and numerical representation of speed and depth and heading so you don't have to you know you can just see it and but if you depending on which one you might like. There's some thought been put into this, how it all fits together. And this is far better than that boring loadathon that was sub-battle simulator, I thought. It's probably that this just concerns itself with one mission. That probably helps. But what at first seems an off-putting and maybe a little garish, the, the colours is bright blue, It's you know, it's, it, there's a lot going on here. It, I found it soon turned into a pretty captivating game. That I thought this the book some justice. I like the book um, and the film, so I thought this was actually all right. Like we saw back, way back with the fourth protocol, these kinds of sort of literary conversions, they can work as long as there's some consideration on how to translate them from one medium to another. Here, I thought we have a solid strategy game that belies its rather dull initial visuals. And given a bit of time and space, this could easily suck you in as you try and guide the Red October through the very troubled waters of the North Atlantic. I enjoyed this way more than I thought I did. Th so, th thought I was going to, sorry. Way more than I thought, because I, I thought, oh, this looks like another one of them. But once I got clicking and got doing stuff and, you know, and the, the, some of the nice stuff, like you can go to the, you can see the contour of the ocean and you sort of couple that with how deep you want to go and trying to avoid mines and getting into and stuff. I, th I, I really enjoyed my time with this. I didn't, didn't finish it. I didn't get across. I always got killed. But there's there's not in this. There's a weird restart option though. <laughs> in that, in fact, you have to load in when it ends. You go to this screen and it's quite quite basic and it just asks you to load something in and you have to choose the first one hfr1 or something so hfr1 you load that in and it restarts and then it allows you to go back to the start of the game it feels to me like the fact that this game just starts either the me memory is full because it's all in a single load and the, they don't have uh, any way of sort of resetting everything back to you know basic just reloading it or something so you have to reload the game in and i can't i can only imagine that's it but you know aside from that on disc and on emulate it doesn't take too long to do that i, I enjoyed this i thought this was all right it was you know i don't normally dig these kind of games but this one maybe because i had a bit of you know knowledge of the book and stuff and yeah it's it, 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 there was enough atmosphere here to 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 draw me in surprisingly i enjoyed it what about you yeah principally the same really my initial thought was that it was more unplayable submarine guff i had a feeling some of the production was missing i think that might be because it's cracked so i think there probably, maybe, there probably yeah. is some loady stuff that happens but 
no, you're straight into it anyway. There's no arguing that. I mean, you're in the submarine, go. Yes. And it is a nice, little bit nicer way to control it. So you're not overwhelmed with a billion options. You've just got, it's got a nice story. So it's less simulator, more story. And I think that helps. Like you say, it's better to have that, I think. So I never, you know, I, I found it once I'd got gone through the manual and sort of found my way through things a little bit. I gradually got used to it. I think I just, I, I needed to give this a lot more time than I had to give it. But what I, I liked and what I played, I saw, I never got, I, I mean, I, I must have the, like, the duff version of that submarine because every, I just, <laughs> so I just about sort of head off and then it'd be beep, 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 beep. But then that was it. I heard a shh sound and that was it sunk. It's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> so I just didn't seem to be able to get very far, but that, you know, but that's part and parcel of playing something like this. Um, the graphics look pretty good. I thought in, in the way that they are maybe a little bit basic, but I don't know what, what you can really do. What they did within this is the kind of thing you'd expect to be in it, I guess. And it kind of worked. There was quite a bit of loading again on this. It wasn't as bad as the other one though. It wasn't bad. It seems to be that they're obsessed with making the sub, someone's got to make the submarine simulator haven't they before silent service comes along so yeah um maybe this is another one quite pricey really but i think if you were if you were like you if you're a fan of the the novel and um, you're gonna dig this because it's it does work quite well with that hand in hand you know it's a quite a nice companion to that um, mm-hmm. and i think exactly. i think you'd be able to experience you know before the film comes out you'd be able to sort of go for a bit more of an interactive experience with it not a bad idea really some of the look and feel of it the way the little screens work to remind me a little bit command and conquer red alert in a weird way not the main game actually the in-between bits um just some yeah. of the bits like that so i quite liked it it's not the worst submarine game we've seen because obviously that sub-battle simulator was out there but this one does benefit from keeping it about something and having a simple you know obviously not simple to do but a straightforward goal and having a really good book alongside of it to really help it it had all of that so you know the, the parameters of this were set quite nicely and it just stayed with them and that's quite important it didn't deviate try to do something stupid um you know didn't bring in any science fiction it just stayed with it um and that's yep, to no it and that's to exactly well that's to its benefit you know it didn't need it if they'd have tried to fill this with lots of canny ridiculous controls it would have ruined what is a game about trying to get you know get from point a to point b as silently and sneakily as possible so yeah oh, good because you, you literally because you literally play you're playing the commander aren't you you're yeah. playing the commander of the sub and you're giving your orders do this that's what i quite like when you go all right drop, dropping down to you know 30 meters yeah. 30 meters reach you get the messages like you would get on the submarine and there's that notion of being the commander at the heart of everything but everything's yeah. there quickly and easy that you can access yeah. stuff good good yeah Good, enjoyed that more than I thought I would. Yeah, same. Uh, Especially when it- I wasn't sure to. And of course, that, that I got initially confused because I was thinking it was a different game, but then I realised, oh, of course, yeah, this is predates the film, but doesn't predate the book. And you know, interesting, interesting that we yeah. get another version of this when the film comes out. But of course, you know, that's what happens, isn't it? So it is. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Mm. There we go. A surprisingly nice start. Mm. Let's move on to our next one. Hopefully, that'll be just as good. Graham, take us for a test drive. Test drive from Accolade. Coded by Don <laughs> Matrick, Mike Benner. <laughs> Maybe not that he's having a Benner. Kevin P. Pickle. Kevin Pickle, everyone. Pickle Pickle Kev. <laughs> P- 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 not a pickle peas. <laughs> It's Pickle Kev. Bruce Dawson, <laughs> for those that have watched uh, Rick and Morty. Pickle Kev, everyone. It's Pickle. It's a pickle. Bruce Dawson, Aim- Amory Wong, Brad Gower, and Rick Fryson. Graphics are by John Buchler and Tony Lee, who I thought was a triple X hypnotist, but could be wrong. And musician is Patrick Payne. You say triple X? Yeah, triple X uh, hypnotist. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? It's rude. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yes, rude. So, uh. <laughs> Test Drive is a obviously a racing driving simulation of a sort. Um, mm-hmm. it's based on kind of illegal street racing as opposed to sort of track racing. And the goal is obviously to get through the five stages as quick as possible. It's almost outrunnish, one might say. And it's sort of... A little bit, yes, one might say that, um, yes. 
So obviously you've got to choose a car to do this to before you go out and your it's not really test driving, is it? You're not test driving a car. I suppose you're test driving these fast cars. You can choose from the Lotus Esprit, the Lamborghini Countach, the Porsche 911, the Ferrari Testarossa, and the Chevrolet Corvette. All of these are at the time very famous supercars in their own little way. Yeah, very famous. So they all have a nice look and feel. They're all represented quite nicely in terms of the way they're drawn. They've got a whole bunch of statistics and apparently in the game have their own independent driving characteristics. I think really what that means is that they have a different gear knob and a different engine squeak. Um, <laughs> I don't. Because yes, I'm not sure um, they really are yeah. that different to control, really. I mean, they look kind of different, maybe, maybe if you squint. I don't know. The one thing they all do have in common, of course, is that you are, they're all manual, even though most of these actually better as automatics in the real world, but there you go. So obviously the idea of this, you've got to sort of travel along the road and try and get to the points. It's a bit outrunny in that way. Um, you don't have checkpoints in this as such, but you've just got to try and get through avoiding things like speed tickets because this is all great big, big race against time really you've got a, you've got a little radar detector it's the first time we've seen a radar detector in a game like this I think mm, no I think didn't a uh, great American cross country road I race have one I don't remember but this is kind of almost, almost leaning on a bit of that as well actually if that's the case I think you can get stopped by police in that but so you've obviously you've got to keep your speed under control, obviously, because um, if you go on to go fast and you will want to go fast. In fact, you'll want to continually accelerate in this game because if you don't accelerate, the noise of the engine will drive you insane. Because <laughs> while it's going up in in terms of its speed, so when it's accelerating, the tone of the engine is, which is okay. If you stop accelerating, it goes, oh, that's, that's too much. Then you think, okay, I'll slow down a bit. Okay, faster. Oh, now I've got to just keep accelerating all the time. So it's actually, that's a bit of an annoying thing, that. Um, so obviously you've got, if you do get pulled over by the police, because there are police cars and obviously other vehicles to avoid, I'll come up about what they are in a moment, but you'll go past a police car driving at speed. Obviously the cars don't lend themselves to going slowly. So you're going to be going faster and they will then race behind you and flash the lights and all of that kind of thing. And obviously you've got to pull over really and it, they'll give you a ticket and all that kind of thing. All fun and games. There's also potholes in the road. Um, and there's really sharp bends the tra- oncoming traffic I'm using the term traffic l- loosely because there is things on the road we'll, we'll grant you that and they kind of we're going back to that Duplo world again where they're just giant blocks of pixel coming towards you so pixel lorries a la blockatrons come flying towards you in jump speed so you know, they're 80 miles away 40 miles away, 20 miles, they're on you. You know, oh no, <laughs> terrible. It's not great that. And you'll crash a lot because if you can't really always oh, avoid the them. Crash, but I, the crashing. I'll, I'll come back to the crashing and again and then that bit in a moment. So you steer this. So the view of your vehicle is that you've got, um, you're inside the um, drive from the driver's seat so you can see the top of the steering wheel. Oh, the, sorry, at the mm-hmm. bottom, just as the top of the steering wheel at the bottom of the screen. Um, at the top, you've also got the rear view mirror, which does actually show your rear view. Interesting. And you've got your little detector on there. You've got your speedometer on there and then Obviously, when you press, when you go to change, you up and down, accelerate, decelerate, left, right, control the direction of the car. And obviously, fire button is change gear. Um, and I think you press fire button, you can, do you move the stick? I can't remember if you move the stick or you just press fire and it goes up. And I can't remember you go down there. I think it's up and, you, up and fire, you, isn't it? You pre- yeah, it's up and fire, down and yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah. So. so that's how you change yeah. the gears and the little gear thing appears. And it's, you know, it's that's the gear knob from a Ferrari, that is. That'll impress you maybe two, three times max. Was it? Apparently. Okay. Well, not only in the Ferrari. So so you start the game off, obviously. Now, the game has quite a nice little intro sequence as well. And you see the car sort of rolls up and it rolls the window down. He does a kind of a silly face and then drives off. And I think there's speech in it, as I recall. Yeah. Takes a takes a while, though, doesn't it? What does it say, the speech? I, can't re- I had this really weird whistle going away through it. It's like... <laughs> To be f- yeah, to be fair, I, can't, I honestly can't remember. I was like, ages to- something like that. I can't remember what the speech was. I'll look it up. But um, so 
you essentially are driving around from this kind of POV almost of, I suppose it's um, first person type view, really. You can't change that view from any other view. So it's that view or nothing. And your steering wheel is controlled by the joystick, but there's a dot which represents the, I guess, the how far you've moved the steering wheel to the left or the right. Yeah, yeah. Because that's important when you're going around the sort of bends, because obviously when you're going really fast, it's going to start skidding. You won't notice really because it looks exa- identical other than you hear this kind of <laughs> sound. So you have to sort of go with that. And this obviously limitations of the format anyway. If you crash, your front window breaks, just what well, cracks, and then obviously you, you've lose life and time yeah and then you've got to accelerate again obviously from the start and you've got to go through the stages of pain of the sound and uh. after each of the stages it's time to either measure your heartbeat or stretch your legs your gas tank is being filled while you're racing and um, your average speeds and reward points are shown so you, there are sort of stages for this as well the first stage is quite short and easy that's from the blurb for this but i'm not agreeing with that because it felt fairly endless so i don't want to get to the end of it I suppose. and then they, then the next stages become more difficult and if by more difficult they mean stupid bends that are ridiculous to get around loads of radar activity all the time and impossibly hard traffic to avoid because avoiding the traffic, one of the big problems in this game, well, one of the many problems. Um, mm-hmm. So the opening t- sequence, as I said, kind of memorable. I've got fun. Me- I do have fond memories of loading this. I remember getting it. I remember getting the crack version of this and ooh and an hour in a little bit because it was quite different in in the way it presented itself. It had a lot of acc- accolade have a nice polish. So when it rolled up and then when you see the yeah. when you see the car graphics, yeah. they look really nice. When you see all the stats on this big stack graphic, it's they're really quite nicely drawn. When you choose your car, the window rolls down and the guy does a little face and it drives off. Nice little touches and then it loads in the window for the game. <laughs> Um, so there's no arguing, I suppose, really with this, with the innovation, some of the innovations that are, that are in it. The 3D-ish kind of first person nature of the game is kind of interesting because it's not vectors. It's I'm not sure, sure what you'd call the 3D, really. I guess it's just crumble browno vision. You always <laughs> seem to be on the side of a cliff. I don't know what you call it, really, but I suppose it's all right. It sort of works a bit. The steering wheel at the bottom of the screen is quite nice. The gear stick pop-up, those are little nice features. They're different. We've not had one that's done that before, like that, that's had that view, that's had it. I mean, Revs was the closest thing I could think of. Yeah, Revs, Revs did the, and also had the line on the steering wheel as well, so it did did the analog steering. For this kind of street racer, you know, posh car, fast cars. First time no. someone's attempted that. The rear view yeah. mirror was a nice trick as well, so you could see mm-hmm. the police car. The bl- blocky graphics of the oncoming traffic are horrible, really horrible. They're <laughs> the worst thing in it by miles. They're, no, this makes the graphics in Outrun look positively high-res. Have <laughs> you read my review? <laughs> this, these, <laughs> you just nick my words. These blocky monstrosities <laughs> appear. And annoyingly, even though if you're looking out the window of your car when you're driving and you go to go round a lorry, the lorry doesn't still hit you when you're going around because it's in, you know, it doesn't work that way. But in this, even if the lorry's all the way over to the right, somehow it always stays in your window. And if it's in your window, you're going to hit it. I, I hit the lorries more often than anything else. I could more or less avoid some of the cars that come towards you. And it's because they've got that awful logic in this when things don't come at you smoothly. So you've got time to avoid. They come at you in like three stages, like, you know, far away, middle ground there. And because of that, yep. you know, you've got that yep. potentially got three steps to avoid them. Well, this thing doesn't respond like that. And um, not even at speed. There's no sense of speed really in any of this. I'll be honest. It doesn't capture speed or anything like that. Um, so you're not, it doesn't feel like you're tearing around these tracks trying to do that in a way that a good good version of this would doesn't have that so you're menaced really by giant blocky monstrosities of the kind that i'm not even sure took any effort to draw it's lorry shaped i think that's the best thing to say but kids draw lorries better than that <laughs> you know toddlers <laughs> so some of the innovations are nice but it's let down by a lot of the clumsy implementation which is really mad all the detail of those graphics at the start a lot they've gone to all the effort of all that interior cockpit for the car and the gear stick and all of that to then throw crazy blocky crap at you on the road why why did they do that it would have been better not to have it i mean 
generally speaking, on some of the American roads, I've driven on them. You don't see any traffic for like two hours. There's nobody on them. And if you do it, it's bumper to bumper or it's empty and devoid. Travelling from Los Angeles through to San Francisco, there's just very little traffic on the road between there. Certainly between there and Las Vegas. I went three hours, I think, in that journey. It was one car. Bear in mind that the lanes (laughs) of the motorway, by the way, that you're on are seven lanes wide. So the chance of hitting a lorry would be astronomical anyway. <laughs> and even if you're going down the Pacific Coast Highway on the cliffside stuff, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is that this is a juddery, jerky, slow version of a race game with some great ideas, some nice presentation and packaging around the edges, but it ha- it's all trying to hide what is essentially a pretty crappy racer or a pretty crappy driving game. I like the ideas that are in it more than I like the implementation, obviously. I remember trying to really get into this and really wanting to like it back in the day and just it just beat me every time with its progressive, annoying, waspy sound engines and no real sense of being actually in the car that was you were meant to be in. I had a real penchant. I love the Porsche 911 car. I think it's it's one of my favourite car designs of all time, albeit that it's yeah, a, same, you know, yeah. an elongated beetle, but I, I, I love it. And so this was a letdown again because I felt like I, I wanted to get in that car and drive it around and it wasn't really that at all. So it led to a massive series of games though. I mean, there's 21, 22 games from 1987 yeah, yeah. in the in the test drive series on cross multiple platforms, you know, all the way up to modern ones. I played the Amiga version of this a lot more than the C64 one in the end. So my memories of it are actually on the, more memories of it are actually on the Amiga, which was obviously better than this. But the C64 is struggling here. There's some nice outward presentation, as I say. Details on that bit are good. When you get to the final game, well, oncoming traffic, there's giant Lego crap. Vehicle collision is off. Can't really avoid things. The noise of the engine will drive you mad. The joystick controlling dot doesn't really work really sound of the engine again like i say bad it's just no it's just there's too many things that bolt together to make this into an unpleasant experience whether you're trying to be ahead of the game or not whether you're trying to sort of it's just not this again proves really that the commodore 64 can get away with some of the show and tell but not the game design not the game not when it's like this i suppose some of these innovations had to begin somewhere but nah not really good this crappy review really from zap i agree with them what about you yeah I mean, almost word for word. It's an interesting attempt to do something different and a little more in-depth in the driving genre. And and like you said, there are some things to commend here. I did quite like the control system, the gear implementation. You're mostly pushing up to speed up and then a quick tap on the fire button moves it up again. And the way it moves, the little graphic pop up, nice, like that. Uh, same if you're holding down. The steering is quite interesting. It's Like we said, it's similar to revs, uh, big steering wheel, and you move a dot around it to indicate uh, how much you are turning sort of thing, which allows for greater analog options than just a digital input. So that's nice. Clever. It doesn't move fast enough. It doesn't move fast enough, really. If you want to go from left to right, so you can't no. swing that joystick, you know, swing the wheel around, which is a bit of pain. Yeah, obviously there's been some thought along these areas and the visuals, like I said, in the intro section of the cars, you choose them. It's also good. Everything else is rubbish. Uh, the update is slow. So there's, there's little sense of speed here. The oncoming cars are so blocky, they'd make outrun blush. In fact, I thought actually one of them looked like Bertie Bassett. Um, I think the cop. <laughs> car reminded me it looked yeah, like a Bertie Bassett yeah. it literally looked like a Bertie Bassett I was like that's Bertie Bassett I'm being arrested by Bertie Bassett I don't like this the mountain is just a boring lump of brown because that's the whole point of the game isn't it? you've got to get to the top of the mountain yeah that's um, right yeah, I commend them for what they've tried to do here, but it just doesn't come off. All the cars feel really similar to driving. In fact, you know, pretty much exactly the same. At no point did I feel I was in a Porsche or a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or whatever. I just didn't. More a whiny, boring lump that was menaced by blocky Tonka cars. <laughs> Tonka cars, right. Yeah, I'll give them kudos for effort, but take it all away for implementation. It's just it's just not very good. It, it, it's just ugly and whiny. And also as well, time and time again, I would crash. So you get the smash window and then you get back on. And then... If you don't put it in gear and you just rev the engine, blows it up. 
your 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 window shatters again. Yep. And you crash again. It's like, why have I crashed? I'm just revving the engine. Yeah, you over When I sit out in my car, when I sit out in my car sort of thing, and if I rev the engine just for the sheer hell of it, something's like, my, my windscreen don't go, well, explode. Yes, it probably wouldn't. But if you stuck it, you pedal foot to the floor and just left it there for five minutes, it would. <laughs> Yeah, but no, but this was about two or three seconds. You have to yeah. stick it in gear quickly. Yeah, you do. So it's just a bit ridiculous, really. So things like that. I mean, but the thing is, as well, is you know, it's it's a game. So don't do that. Just say, let me rev. Don't yeah, rev. Yeah. Just until until I shove it up in a gear. Stupid. You know. So who cares? But just to punish that, nah, I didn't like this at all. And it is amazing that it's gone on. That this is the start of the test drive series. I mean, there is supposedly. I think there's another. I think they're redoing test drive unlimited. Yeah, yeah. Which so was the, uh, the yeah. Uh, yeah the open world uh, Hawaii one. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed on the uh, Xbox 360. I think that was that was really good. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see this. But yeah, there was test drive Porsche. Weren't there and loads of test yeah, loads yeah. of them. Twenty one um, of them. So yeah, amazing that it started here, but it started off badly. The racing was terrible. Those cars. Mm. Oh God, those cars coming at you, especially when you've got one in front of you and then one just appeared on the other side oh, you're like yeah i'm done no i'm done because it didn't break fast enough nope. uh it's just stupid uh yeah so no no test drive was was not a good game i didn't enjoy that at all no there you go let's move on i'm sure we'll enjoy the next one because our next one graham is slornia <laughs> so or slain it's slain to me as well but uh, according to wikipedia it's pronounced slawnya s-l-a-w-n-y-u-h i think it must okay. be the celtic pronunciation slawnya okay maybe so slain slawnya is a comic hero that was first published in british magazine 2000 a.d I, like I said, I thought it was just Slain. I've always called it Slain. So for the purpose of this review, I'm going to say Slain because I'm going to get very annoyed. It'll sound like I'm just saying coleslaw, but I don't <laughs> want to say slaw. Just call it coleslaw. So we're going to call it Slain. And and so, you know, but I'm appreciative that it's exactly slaw and you sort of thing, but it's just, it would, it would pain me to keep saying that and I'll forget. So could be some leeway. Anyway, it's another character from the page of 2000 AD and it's given the computer runabout. Um, we've had Judge Dredd, we've had uh, Rogue Trooper, Nemesis, the warlock so this is in that that kind of style so we've got more of them the comic concerned itself with the adventures uh in the celtic uh, celtic themed land of the young sorry celtic theme land of the young um and it featured the barbarian slain and his dwarf kick dwarf sidekick uko uko ukko but as much as i know i was never a massive slornia slain fan so i kind of tended to just look at the artwork and flick past it to get to the other stuff i enjoyed in the comic so my knowledge of slain is slim i know it's you know i know it's celtic in in tone and everything like that, but it was just it was not one that really strange really i do kind of generally like this but there's something about it that i never really took to but there you go so i've got little affinity for this so i'll just you know all i can do is just just on the quality of the game itself so the story in this tells of the death of the last drune lord who with their dying breath cursed the land and the village of tortega tortega the only way to rid this curse is to find the drune lord's daughter who is trapped in the sky tower and get her to reveal the evil one's name the evil drune lord name if you say this only she knows it it will rid the land of the curse and allow you to win the game so that's what you've got to do so you've got to make your way through this game find the daughter get her to tell you the name say it and jobs are good when the game loads up you can kind of instantly see that this is probably originated on the spectrum it looks like why because it looks like a spectrum game looks a lot like one (laughs) it's a high-res screen so at this first part on the right is a picture of slain and uko and it's got the credits at the top telling us it's created by m archer of creative reality there's also a really good and the only good thing about this game is a very 
very good Dave Whitaker piece of music. Mm. Uh, the music in this is re- is very good. Uh, it's nice and sort of well themed. It's fantasy ish. Um, it's very good. I did like that piece of music. So well done, Mr. Whitaker. Under those, uh, under that, uh, the credits. There's a single color drawing of our heroes with a text box asking us if we are sitting comfortably. On the left of the screen is where the horror of this game resides, <laughs> and that is the menu system. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to answer yes or no to this question. Yes or no. There's a large box on the right of the screen, and in this there are two hands, one large and one small. As I'm guessing, this is one for Slain and one for Uko. Must be. I think that's what it may, may be supposed to represent. So you move this about. See, so it's like an icon-driven thing. So you got to click one. So you just got to click yes or no. You've got to choose your option. And it's here that these the reflex control method rests. Reflex control method. What this amounts to is a constantly moving menu which sees you chasing the options with your hands. The words yes and no float about many times, racing off to the left and the right as you try and click on them. They appear on different lines. They fade out. And should you manage to click on one of them, finally and it's a pain in the ass. the game begins. Text boxes appear on the right, telling us we are on a dirt track. It also tells us there is five villagers here, which grammatically angered me. <laughs> Thought it might. If there is five villagers, just write, there are there are some villagers, or you know, or five villagers are here. Yep. Five, vill- there are five villagers appear. Yep. You don't need to worry about it then. Okay. I remember there was um, an interview with uh, Braybrook when he was talking about uh, part of his diary is that when he was doing Morpheus and he was on about how he has to create a null character space because he hates things like that <laughs> where it says village you know there is you, you, you've got one lives left mm. things like that so he creates a null space where you can just have one life you know one life whatever anyway this is where the reflex system really comes into its crazy own um, we've got options examine look status objects action hit uko for some reason attack and move but all these are moving constantly wiping off to the left and right appearing three lines down swapping out swapping in fading in just move it's all it's nightmarish if you manage to click on the right one then a sub menu appears in the same way whilst the other options are still fading out so you don't even know if the sub menu options you just click the right <laughs> who knows the f- it's just a nightmare nothing sits still it's a, just a, an absolute nightmare to navigate this if you attack the villagers uh, it brings up the options to swing punch as others but choosing the right one is more luck than anything else choosing to move gives you four directions but there's nothing to indicate which way to go and just when you think you're choosing southeast it fades away to replace by north and you're not heading the direction you wanted to at all this is I managed to make it about three choices in before I turned this off this could be the greatest adventure ever committed to the C64 this could be a work of creative genius although with the text like there is there is five enemies I highly doubt it but it's all rendered futile and pointless by the single most anger inducing and confounding menu system it's been my misfortune to encounter at one point how did no one just say don't do that it's stupid (laughs) and clumsy and horrible to navigate what are you doing the players will hate it you and this game they will just hate it what are you doing why why was this never said why did someone just go Mr Archer bang stop it we'll never know you don't need to move them but it's my reflex reflex system I'll reflex system you I do not want to fight a menu system my game should not be fighting floating words when I'm supposed to be playing as a Celtic barbarian if you have to hide your game behind something this atrocious I can only assume that what is there is crap otherwise why would you hide it why are most 2000 AD games so rubbish how do you cock it all up so badly in so many different ways why did no one slap the program and make go and sit in the corner and make him think about what a bad thing he'd done utterly utterly incomprehensible that this got to market like this and nobody at no point said don't do that don't it's a waste of memory it's a waste of time it's a waste of 
you know, waste of good input system. This is you. You messaged me and said this is going to really anger you. This system. I was like, Cat, okay, I've seen some bad menu systems, but I was not prepared for this. <laughs> Stupid crap and awful. I hated it. Hated it. I hate just the menu. And so I can't comment on the game because why would you? Why would yep. anyone give this any time? One of the most annoying things I've ever come across. <sighs> you? <laughs> you know, I, I liked the style of the presentation because that that, yeah, th- yeah. that was detailed and that kind of looked all right. That was it, though. Had they wrapped a sensible control system around that, um, it might have fared a bit better. But as it stands, the floaty selector word is stupid. And having to select every single waking thought is unexciting and frustrating when done like this anyway. I don't get the design choices people make, generally. I don't get it for this. Why have a text menu that's difficult to read anyway, which it is half the time, and then float and move it around so it's hard to select? That is just plain f***ing annoying. Good music from Dave Whitaker, like you said. So that makes things more possible, at least orally. And the graphics that I saw, again, like I said, well drawn in the high-res comic style. You know, some some things, look it looked quite nice in that way. Very yes, spectresque, but it did look all right. But really, you want people to enjoy playing your game, and the interface to do that is the key. If you get that wrong, well, everything's wrong. This is bad. Yep. This is bad. Yep. This felt like a throwback to a game from 1985-86. Possibly the worst control system I've ever seen on anything in my life. And I've had to navigate some Japanese control systems and Chinese control <laughs> systems for LED lights, USB LED lights. And let me tell you, those remote controls, they're pretty weird. So no, this was crap. Just stupid. What a shame. I bet this is a really good game underneath all of that. No one's ever going to get past that floaty thing though. Horrible. Horrible. Yeah. It, it just it, I sat here trying to play it when it first started. I was like, when it when it first started, I was like, hey, I knew it would I knew it would on? anger you as soon as I engaged with its floatiness. I'm like, oh, I know someone who's going to hate this more than me, and I think it's possibly the worst thing. I, one of the worst things I've ever come across. Yeah, so, and I, yeah, I mean, I've designed interfaces professionally for a living. Um, you don't move them. No, you don't. You make it easy <laughs> to click. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a usability it's nightmare. A sim- <laughs> it's a, it's a sensible motto. Yeah. Don't move your options yeah. away from the clicker. There's a reason why um, you know most websites sites don't move their move their navigation around <laughs> and change it yeah it's really annoying absolutely. <laughs> people don't like it Could you- so yeah slawn you slain it's probably off coleslaw just annoying wish it hadn't yes but there you go. Dreadful, dreadful thing. Let's move along. We've got another fantasy-style, medieval-style game to get into for as our final one, so let's just get into that. Graham, it's a sequel. Tell us all about what it was like going into Glove 2. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Gauntlet 2. Gauntlet 2. Gauntlet 2. So this is copyright, obviously, Atari Games. The game programmer here is Stu Gregg. Graphics, Kevin Bulmer. Titles were programmed by Chris Shrigley. So there's some names, familiar names here to anyone that knows Gremlin Graphics who were responsible for this. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently there's lots of help was from Tony Porter. Sound effects from Bill Allen. Sound effects. I mean, come on. All right. Title music <laughs> was Ben Daglish. And it's apparently in the game, it's a special thanks to Ed Log. So this is, so this is Gauntlet. What have they done? Um... <laughs> So on you get a select. So it's different to the first gun. This is the same same old characters here. So Merlin, Questor, Thor, and Thyra are back. There's a hundred more levels to explore in this. And again, it's following that kind of the the gauntlet mantra. Um, so in this, it begins with the 
crappy title screen, which is a bit horrible, but it's gauntlet-y, yeah. I suppose. Then it goes to the selector screen, the horrible, horrible selector screen. It's two-player only again, this. So, you know, maximum two players. Yep. Um, and then, so you choose your player out of the four I've mentioned, and then you can choose their colour, okay, for reasons of, I don't know, well, I don't know, just for fun, I guess. And then, obviously, it's into the loading. The loading will begin. There's a lot of loading in this, as you can imagine. It's a gauntlet a game. There is a lot of loading. So this, like I said, it's got 100 more levels to explore. So the usual gauntlet stuff here find the keys the treasure the food and the exits avoid the baddies of the different varieties and quantities there's some new interesting things in this gauntlet too as well some traps force fields who gives a shit this is worse than the first one it's worse it's way <laughs> yeah. worse loading, the loading screen and opening gambit are the only bits that are actually passable I think it's not amazing and you know the artwork is a little bit crap but it's passable and obviously then selecting your player part okay when you get into that after that awful awful bunch of loading you're presented with the gauntlet play window and that's when you go as soon as you move that thing the graphics are slightly bigger and more squat so they're kind of fatter they've eaten a lot that's what I can think of them they've, they've eaten a lot they've eaten they've had a good meal between Gauntlet and Gauntlet and those deeper dungeons had some clearly had some high calorie food in there well yeah so which means they move a lot slower which is a massive problem in a game that's dependent on its fast scrolling and it's you know it's, it's scuttling about picking up stuff and avoiding the endless attacking waves of enemies and opening the doors and the panic that comes from being bombarded by thousands and thousands of ghosts you're never going to experience any of those things in this ever not really um, they seem to have sacrificed some of the FPS as well for this i'm not quite sure why i don't know quite how this has gone wrong in this way something went badly wrong here so it's certainly noticeably slower than the original c64 version which is a problem everything about this game has got a million times worse so everything has got everything in this game is worse than the first one and they've taken all the things that they shouldn't have taken and, and put them into this so they've made it slower the, the spikes are worse and fatter they don't control as well shooting things doesn't have any kind of satisfaction everything jerks around including all of the enemies just jerking and juddering about yes there's plenty of them on the screen but they're all slow the scrolling's jerky jerky wasn't even jerky in the first one don't think so I don't know no, what I don't know it wasn't I don't know what happened it's noticeably crapper underneath I suppose there's the same fundamental game as it were but the format for this is now getting a bit old and in an episode where we've got a Kauri Warriors as a two player game with strafing modes and running and loads of sprites on the screen how did this how did this happen how did this game become this this is loading parts. Uh, Carry Warriors was one load. This is loading loads of these things in over a long period of time. What it loads is rubbish and bland and empty and there's not much in it. I do not understand. This cannot be optimised in any way that means anything. I don't get why it was even released. I'm not sure anyone wanted a sequel to Gauntlet. Um, is there one in the arcade? I think there is a Gauntlet 2 in the arcade, isn't there? I think there's a second Gauntlet. I don't but know, for, actually. But for all of the same reasons the first version was flat, are the same here, but flatter or fatter. Depends how you look at it. I mean, I get it. They've eaten so much, they've got fat, which means they they slower in the dungeon all right that may be the payoff it's not exciting though and that's not you know you can't that's not nice i didn't like it i like gauntlet gauntlet's always been a quite a playable game even the c64 version with its limitations which i wasn't wholly struck on was certainly a better attempt at a gauntlet game than this which is weird because they've done gauntlet variants themselves which are better than this avengers better than this i mean yes it had its problems but it was faster on the screen it, it was better i don't get what went wrong here and looking at the list of names that are involved in this it seems to me like this is a design by committee and i 
I just don't think anyone really wanted to be responsible for it. So they've just kind of put it together as best they could and just chucked it out, knowing that there's enough gauntlet suckers out there. We've got gauntlet one and gauntlet deeper dungeons that will go and buy this. Another hundred layers of crack. But considering we had the game last in the last episode, which was a gauntlet variant that had jerky scrolls, but at least it had the design and the elements right. And parts of it were right. Yes, it had the same similar problems to this, but they tried better. It was a better construction of the gauntlet game. How do you get this wrong when this is principally some of the people that designed the first one? It's awful, this. It's really bad. Now, Zap gave it 81%, which baffled me a bit. I don't quite get why they thought it was worth 81% at full price. I can't get my head around it. I loaded this up and I saw a crap version. It looked like a dull version of a game that had already had the problems and the problems that had been exacerbated, which made it feel really sluggish and unplayable and and not very nice to go at. Horrible. And I can only imagine with two plays, it's probably even worse. No, thanks. Gauntlet poo. (laughs) When it works, it works. It really does. Yeah, what the hell's happened to Gauntlet? I mean, the first one went perfect on the C64, but it, it ran fairly smoothly and it was fairly fast, I guess. This one is a plodding, jerky affair that offers some extra things, but is less fun to play than the first one by Miles, which, you know, we didn't particularly like the first one. So the graphics may be a little nicer, I guess, and some of the sprites. And, it, you know, with, there's loads on screen. It's, gonna be, it's quite impressive to see so many things moving about, I guess. But it all comes at a heavy price. The, the dead uh, exact a heavy toll, and that toll is speed. There is none. None. This feels leaden and lumpy to play. It does. We we can have good gauntlet variants on the machine. Druid and some degree Avenger, as you said, show that. They can be done well if they play to the machine's strengths, but this is not one of those. It, it's not dandy bad, you know, but it's not that. But it's more in the realm of the one we played last week. It's like that Demon Stalkers, exactly like you said. It just, you know, it's that. But that had, you know, nice, well-designed levels and some thought behind it. Again, but this, you know, similar unpleasant scrolling and loading that takes forever. How do you do this jerky scrolling? When I started walking, as soon as I started moving, I was like, what is going on here? Don't know how bland grey floors and some walls take so long to load as well. There's not even any detail in the, the floor or anything. Nothing. Gauntlet arcades were never going to convert well to 64 and there's further proof of that. Glove slap to this. This was terrible. I don't know how it got 81%. I don't know. I did go and play the um, uh, the NTSC version, the US version, the one by Mindscape. So oh, yeah. um, it's all it's all very similar. It's different levels though, so different levels lay, load in. And what I did was I tried, I put my machine to NTSC mode, so 60 hertz. It does actually run quite a chunk faster. There is a noticeable difference in playing it in 60 hertz to the 50 hertz version that the UK got. So it, I don't know, maybe Zap got the NTSC version. I don't know, but there's something gone badly wrong here. And, and it just, I don't know, it's poor, isn't it? It's really poor. It's just really yeah, substandard. Very... How did this get 81%? It just doesn't feel like Gauntlet and it's just no fun and also i got stuck on a level there was a level where i either shot the wrong thing and i couldn't there's a load of doors and i just didn't there was no key i think it was only the third level yeah you just you have to just wait don't you and the the keys and the door the doors open after a while well where's the fun in that there isn't any but that's that gauntlet does that originally as well yeah but you should have the key to be able to get through in the first place there should be keys to open the bloody doors yeah well this isn't it's the problem they had with avenger yes it is yes but you know don't excuse it here well they haven't learned anything from those games clearly when they made this no and avenger was gremlin as well wasn't it it was dreadful gauntlet poo as you rightly say there you go let's 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 spend no time more time on that it's a pointless it's a horrible sequel to a not particularly Mm. great original There we go. Right, so that's it. We've managed to get through this level. There's been some technical hiccups all over the place, so God knows. But there you go. We've managed to get through. We've had some, well, we've had three decent games, which, you know, in recent weeks, that's actually not a bad hit rate. Yeah, it's not a bad tally. Um, Ikari Warriors, we really liked. Sub-Battle Simulator was 
awful, terrible. Mini putt uh, was a good, fun, crazy golf uh, knockabout thing. So that was all right. Will Tour Golf was a subpar leaderboard. Hunt for Red October, surprisingly in- enjoyable mm. that we weren't expecting. Yeah. So we quite, quite like that. And then the last three, Test Drive, just no. Slain, <laughs> no. The anger-inducing, I was twitching. My eye was twitching. Um, well, I, I had to step away. I had to no take surprise. a big, big break before I went off to play Gauntlet Two, and then I tried Gauntlet Two, and I was like, "Ah, oh, I wish I'm bothered. I just wish I'd just come <laughs> on and gone. It's crap. It's going to be crap in it, and you could have just listened to you go. It's crap." And I've been like, "Yeah, didn't have to waste my time." But we play mm. them, so you don't have to. There we go. That's this week. That is episode eighty-two. I think it's the last week of March next week, isn't it? Yes, it is, finally. It is. Let me have a look to see what we have coming up next week. So next week, in the last week of March, we have, I think we've got nine games. Nine games next week, plus the films. Mm. Only a couple of films, though. So we've got Predator, okay. BMX Kids. Interesting. And you can tell it's going to be radical because it's got a Z in kids. Oh, very good. Uh, Brave Star. Oh, dear. Which was there's another action figure one, isn't it? Yeah, Kids dear. toy. Jet Boys, which could okay. be any, sounds, anything. That sounds like a sort of thing yeah. your, mum and, your mum and her friends would go and see. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Jet Boys. Absolutely. <laughs> I've seen the Jet Boys. Absolutely. We're going to the After 10 show where it gets a little <laughs> blue. <laughs> That's it. Uh, we've got Code Hunter. Okay. Mm, it could be anything. Droid Dreams. Oh, dear me. Uh, Mac, M-A-C-H, so, so that better be fast. Uh, <laughs> Rastan Saga. Okay. And finally, finishing off the month on Apollo 18, which I presume is okay. the one that in, in, uh, inspired the cover. Uh, we've also got some crap verts couple of crap verts chat mm. and things like that and then we'll be obviously looking forward to after that we'll be looking forward to what's going on in for uh april uh which we get into april that's the long 12 12 episodes it's taken us to get through january february and march <laughs> that's crazy 101 crazy. 101 games it's not all of them good <laughs> i don't believe there were 10 that were good <laughs> no terrible I'm honest, oh dear. maybe there was oh dear, oh dear. yeah oh dear. the awards are going to be a nightmare if they carry on like this they really are lenny the lion is not impressed uh with his <laughs> weird weird white mouth anyway that's it so we've got that to look forward to next week we round it all off we've done our patreon bit that was at the beginning so you know go join that if you want to i don't think i've got anything more to add have you got anything more you want to add graham no 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 there's been enough technical hitches in this particular recording i think we just need to try and get what we can and i'll get it pieced together and get out of it i don't envy you that job it's going to be a bit of a nightmare to cut all this together so if it sounds a bit disjointed at times this we've had internet cutouts and dropouts all over the shop so oh we've, tr- we've, we've tried our best to kid it all together but if it does sound a bit disjointed at points or put people just go and then i thought rainbow <laughs> <laughs> so we do apologize if that's what this is but just do that just do that in random points. i might just put random points just put the red rainbow in yeah you might as well so if it does sound like we do apologize but hopefully it'll be all right i'm sure graham could work his magic he's got very he's got magic fingers <laughs> on those dials um he plays the yeah he's uh he's got a better ui to use than the one that was in slawnia put it that way yes absolutely i'd have to chase the options around at least <laughs> chase the not, options not, game not if, I put, not if i put my glasses on <laughs> true all right <laughs> there you go so i think on that note uh, i hope you enjoyed this i have been adrian mills and i have been graham raddings and you have been listening to slawnia and we will see you again next week goodbye hasta lasagna don't get any slawnia <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. 
We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.